Okay, let's get going here on Saturday, October 17th, 2020. Hope you guys are having a great weekend. It is BK here coming at you from San Diego, California, America's finest city. Please follow me on Twitter, at BravoKiloActual, and you shout my Instagram, at BKActual. And let's go ahead and get right into it this week, you guys. And I thought I'd start over in France, where French police have fatally shot a man who beheaded a teacher on the street. Yes, and this was a knife-wielding man. And they say they used the word decapitated a teacher near a school in a suburb north of Paris on Friday afternoon, and then again later shot dead by the police. And this is being treated as a terrorist attack. A police officer and parents with knowledge of the attack confirmed French media reports that the victim was a history teacher at the school who had shown caricatures of the Prophet Muhammad in a class on freedom of expression, which had incited anger among some Muslim families. Now, this teacher was immediately depicted as a martyr to freedom of expression. Across the political spectrum, representatives in France's parliament rose to their feet to honor the victim's memory, and President Emmanuel Macron hurried to the scene of the attack Friday night. And Macron said, quote, this was an attempt to strike down the republic, end quote. Uh, Macron again did confirm that the teacher was the victim of a terrorist Islamist attack, and that he was struck down because he taught because he taught the liberty of expression. So it seems like they all jumped on this right away and backed the teacher's right to say what he wants. I wish they would back it with more legislation, but we take what we can get. Now, France's anti-terrorism prosecutors immediately took over the investigation of the attack. And uh, much kind of is uh, remaining obscure right now in the absence of an official police narrative. But the underlying themes of what was known conjured up France's recent history of terrorist attacks, which is an assailant carefully choosing a victim thought to symbolize some offense against Islam. And this is something that is the clash of the two cultures. The Muslim culture says that uh, nothing, uh, nothing is more important than protecting the image of the Prophet Muhammad. Of course, we here in the West, we hold up freedom of expression, freedom of thought, freedom of speech, and even speech that is grotesquely offensive. And that's the cornerstone. That's all that matters, honestly. Once you don't have freedom of expression, everything else goes to shit. That's, it's the First Amendment in the United States for a reason. Now, in a video that widely circulated on YouTube before this attack, a Muslim parent at the teacher's school and the school, I'm going to butcher this name horribly, but this is the College du Bois d'Alini, expressed anger that an unidentified teacher had asked Muslims in a class of 13-year-olds to leave because, quote, he was going to show a photo that would shock him, end quote. Now, the unidentified Muslim parent is not upset that the teacher would ask 13-year-olds to leave, they were upset because the history teacher would dare to show the picture of the Prophet Muhammad. Now, the assailant, we'll get into more of him in a moment, it's, un, well, 
it says in the first article I have, he is not known to have a connection to the school, but I, I have another article I'm going to get to in a minute, which is the latest update. Now, a police union official told the French television station, BFM, that witnesses had seen the assailant cutting the victim's throat. The national police were called, and after having discovered the decapitated victim, confronted the assailant nearby. Brandishing a large knife, the assailant threatened the officers, and after refusing to surrender, was shot ten times and sent to Allah. And yes, French media, quoting witnesses, said the assailant was heard to yell, Allahu Akbar, at the moment of the knife attack. And then a photograph of a corpse lying in the middle of a leafy suburban street appeared on a French television station not long afterwards. Now, remember, this attack comes three weeks after that knife-wielding assailant wounded two people in Paris near the site of the former Charlie Hebdo office. And that office, in turn, was the scene of the 2015 terrorist attack targeting the satirical newspaper for its caricatures of the Prophet Muhammad. Uh, let's see. Anything else in this one? Um, oh, more back to that video about that parent who details what his daughter told him it transpired in class. So the parent says, quote, So this week he allowed himself to tell them, the Muslims, Muslim students, raise your hands. So they raised their hands, and he said, Right, leave the class. So my daughter refused to leave and asked him why. And he said he was going to show a photograph that would shock them. And then he showed them a naked man telling him that it was the prophet. Um, just going down here again. Okay, well, so what? I mean, grow up. God, unbelievable. You know, it is funny, though. Part of me, does admi- part of me just grudgingly does admire the Muslims for not putting up with crap. You know, <laughs> it's about stuff they believe in. Like, once something goes against them, man, they take to the streets, don't they? Okay, we know a little bit about the assailant now. It is, he was only 18 years old. He was an 18-year-old immigrant of Chechnyan descent who was angered by the classroom display of characters of the Prophet Muhammad. Now, the suspect was identified by authorities as Abdullah A, just the last initial. They don't say his last name. They have those weird privacy laws over there. And the teacher has also been identified, Jean-Francois Richard. Investigators did find a message planning the attack on the suspect's cell phone. And then shortly before he was killed by the police, the suspect uploaded a photograph of the victim to Twitter. Hmm. Yeah, so this guy was apparently born in Moscow... Oh, here you go. Down, way down at the bottom of the article. The suspect lived in France with the status of a refugee. Yeah, there you go. That's how he thanked you, France. That's how he thanked you. You took him in because of his fucking batshit lunatic country of Russia. And how did he thank you? Cut the head off of one of your primary school teachers. That's nice. Man. Oh, the guy who attacked the two people, the stabbing outside the former offices of Charlie Hebdo, and I did cover that briefly a couple weeks back. He was a 25-year-old Pakistani immigrant, so they don't have all the home. You know, it's 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 all the uh, they're they're importing all their knife-wielding stabbers. 
That's funny. And then all the politicians get up there and say, oh, today our republic was attacked. And yet, but they won't do anything about it. They continue to insist on bringing in large numbers of people from these fucking suspect countries, suspect regions like Pakistan, Chechnya. Really? Is that who you want to bring in? Okay. Well, with all that group, you know what you're going to get? You're going to get a handful of these guys. So I wonder, I'm I'm just scrolling down here because I'm wondering what, uh, I'm wondering what connection he had, if any. And it's just not, it's not really saying. He just, uh, I, I think he was probably just a guy from the neighborhood who heard about this. Hmm. The teacher, by the way, was uh, 47 years old. And he had taught at the school for only a few years. And he kind of did the right thing. You know, this is important that we teach the next generation about this. And he did ask. He's like, hey, listen, if you're super offended by this and you're going to be fucking butt hurt, like a little cry face, then get out of my, then leave the room. And they didn't want to. Okay, so here you go. You had your chance. Suck it up. So, yeah, yet another stabbing attack in France. Okay, let's go to an election. Not ours, though. Let us go to New Zealand. That's right. New Zealand's prime minister... And her party are coasting to victory in national elections over there. That, of course, is Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. She is 40 years old. And as of right now, she appears to be well on her way to a second term in office. With most of the votes counted, her Labour Party was projected to win a clear majority in Parliament. With around 64 out of the 120 seats available and 49% of the vote. That would make her Labour Party have its strongest showing by far since New Zealand overhauled its electoral system in the mid-1990s. Of course, Ms. Ardern was uh, made popular by her response to the coronavirus, which they called Go Hard, Go Early. Uh, They did effectively stamp out the coronavirus early, which cemented her position as one of New Zealand's most popular prime ministers in generations, if not ever. And of course, you know, it's, it's idiotic people who compare New Zealand to America. For one thing, the part that her response never really gets any media attention when they talk about what a great job she did is basically she banned all immigration, essentially. Like, you could not go to New Zealand. And if you did, the few people they allowed in had to quarantine for two weeks. That's the first fucking huge difference. Remember, we if we did that, fucking the liberals would fucking shit themselves. So that's the first difference. Second of all, New Zealand is a tiny, isolated island country that is completely irrelevant on the global stage. That's another big fucking reason. Nobody, nobody cares about New Zealand and what they do and what they're doing and all that stuff. They don't have, it's a, not a massive global travel hub like the United States is or any other major country. So... Anybody who compares like Jacinda Ardern to, you know, the prime minister, the president of the United States or something like that is a moron. So just keep that in mind. But good for her. You know, she won the election. Uh, Remember, she, three years ago, was a last minute choice to lead the Labor Party. She's a big lefty. Um, She wants to fulfill all these progressive promises like, you know, the usual stuff. Making housing more affordable. Eliminating child poverty. Attacking climate change. So, that's what is going on in New Zealand. I'm just looking down here in New Zealand because, I mean, who knows what anything about the politics of New Zealand. Oh, here you go. Here's some more New Zealand facts. Again, it is a remote Pacific Island nation of only 5 million people. That's another big reason. They only have 25 coronavirus deaths. 
Uh, so, pretty easy to stamp out stuff when you ban all immigration to your tiny, irrelevant island country. But that's what they did, and that's who they voted for. Uh, let us go back here to the United States. And, of course, I always make these a top priority to cover these stories. Two United States Air Force airmen have been awarded the fourth highest military honor for their actions during missions against the Taliban last year in Afghanistan. And these are airmen assigned to the 48th Rescue Squadron. And these are my guys, Master Sergeant Adam Fagan and Staff Sergeant Benjamin Brudnicki. Each received bronze stars with valor at a ceremony at Davis-Mothan Air Force Base on October 1st. Now, the pair were recognized for their actions during separate missions, and they were both attached to Army Special Forces Units, or ODAs, Operational Detachment Alphas. Now, Brudnicki was a medic on a joint U.S.-Afghan assault team that came under attack during a mission to clear a Taliban compound in May of 2019. When an Afghan commando was shot and wounded, he treated multiple casualties with advanced medical interventions and helped coordinate exfiltration while the team continued to eliminate the threat. He also ran through a barrage of gunfire to rescue a civilian wounded during the battle and fought enemy fighters in close-range combat. Indeed, his citation, quoted by Air Force Magazine, read the following, quote, At distances of less than five feet, he engaged relentlessly with personal weapons and hand grenades, despite their cover being damaged with a rocket that failed to detonate. His actions resulted in the seven enemies killed in action, including a Taliban commander, and saved the lives of two coalition partners, end quote. That's outstanding. Fucking hand grenades at less than five feet. Come on now, son. Talk about some nutsack right there. Now, as far as Fagan, uh, this was two months earlier than Brudnicki's uh, battle. Fagan and the special forces team he was attached to were moving through a Taliban compound when they came under heavy IED attack and small arms fire. And Fagan was able to treat a wounded Afghan commando while under heavy gunfire while calling for evac and fighting back and, again, save the life. So just now standing all the way around, quick reminder that, uh, yes, the Air Force is at the very tip of the spear and uh, really proud of my guys and what they're able to do, showing great courage in the face of adversity, which is what we all need to do. Let's go to Mexico and this is great. Mexico's former defense minister was arrested in Los Angeles. How about this one? General Salvador Cienfuegos Zapeda was detained uh, at LAX with his family. And he is the first high-ranking Mexican military official to be taken into custody in the U.S. in connection with drug-related corruption. And all over social media, you can find pictures of this guy with very high-ranking U.S. officials, including Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, and some of our uh, generals. So, he was Mexico's defense minister from 2012 to 2018. He was arrested by American officials at the request of the Drug Enforcement Administration, the DEA, and will face drug and money laundering charges in the U.S. How about this? Wow. 
again, this just shows that Mexico's corruption just touches the highest levels of government. Now, Cienfuegos was defense minister throughout the administration of President Enrique Peña Nieto, who left office two years ago, of course, to be replaced by AMLO, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. Now, his arrest comes only 10 months after another top Mexican official who once led the Mexican equivalent of the FBI was indicted in New York on charges of taking bribes in office to protect the Sinaloa drug cartel. That official was uh, Gennaro Garcia Luna. Pretty sure I covered that one when it came out, too. And it's funny. You notice that they all have to be arrested in the United States because Mexico doesn't do shit. Because Mexico, as I've told you many, many, many times, is a completely failed state. It's completely controlled by the drug cartels. This is not hyperbole, you guys. I'm telling you. Look at this. The head of Mexico's FBI, their version of it, and the head of their defense ministry, which is like our joint chiefs of staff, basically, have both been arrested now on drug charges. So when I say it goes to the very top, it goes to the very friggin' top. Um, that guy who served as the head of Mexico's FBI, that was from 2001 to 2005. And for the next six years after that, he was Mexico's secretary of public security. And in that role, he had the task of helping the president at the time, that was Felipe Calderon, create the strategy to battle their country's drug cartels. That's funny. Now, both Garcia Luna and General Cienfuegos served at the highest reaches of the Mexican government at a time when homicides spiked to historic levels. So if these guys are both convicted, it means basically that two of the highest-ranking and most widely respected commanders ever to oversee the war on drugs in Mexico were themselves corrupted by organized crime and in the service of the very cartels that continue to kill record numbers of Mexicans. If you guys have been listening to the podcast for a while, you know we've talked about the historic homicide rate going on in Mexico right now. Now, the exact charges that General Cienfuegos will face were not immediately clear. Um, But Mexico's military has played a central role in public security since the crackdown on the drug cartels began in 2006. They would often deploy soldiers to regions that were overrun by organized crime, and the Secretary of Defense oversees that effort. Oh, this is this is so good. This is such a great article by the New York Times. I don't have time to read the whole thing, but uh, definitely check it out. Now, interestingly enough, in December 2017, Mexico passed a security law cementing the military's role in fighting the drug war. And that outraged the United Nations and human rights groups because they warned that that measure would lead to abuses, leave troops on the streets indefinitely, and militarize police activities for the foreseeable future. Well, General Cienfuegos repeatedly defended the military, saying it was the only institution effectively confronting organized crime. And the military has since then been repeatedly singled out for human rights abuses and the use of uh, excessive force, including accusations of extrajudicial killings. Now, Cienfuegos' arrest does not appear to have been a joint operation with the Mexican government. So we're working on our own here. Hmm. Fascinating. 
All right, well, there you go. Another one fucking bites the dust. They used to call him uh, El Padrino. And drug enforcement agents, his funny, they, they, had, they had only heard of this, this guy's name, El Padrino, the nickname. And they had long tried to solve the mystery of who he was, and now they think it's this guy, Salvador Cienfuegos. Uh, El Padrino is like basically uh, the godfather in English. And American law enforcement agents would commonly you know, listen in as Mexican cartel members chatted on wiretaps, and they would reference this powerful figure known as El Padrino, but they didn't know who it was. But agents had been closing in on him for months, suspecting that this central figure in the drug trade was a high-ranking official in the Mexican military. Oh, this is great. On one of the wiretaps, one of the people under surveillance told his fellow cartel members that El Padrino happened to be on TV right now. This is the guy talking. He's like, oh, he's on TV. El Padrino is on the television ahora. So... The agents quickly turned on the TV and saw the Mexican Secretary of Defense, General Salvador Cienfuegos. That's fantastic. Yep, don't talk on the phone. Great stuff by the DEA. Kind of sad that it's up to us to do all this and, and Mexico can't do it, but who knows. Okay, let's go give you a little Afghanistan troop update. And one more time, we are reiterating an assertion that the United States will draw down to about 2,500 troops by early next year. And they are insisting on that, the White House is, and indirectly rebuking the Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman for openly questioning that timeline. Uh, so right now, the U.S. has about 4,500 troops in the country. So yes, the National Security Advisor Robert C. O'Brien has said that the plan is to be down to about 25 troops in the early part of next year. And on a recent talk show, I'm sorry, belay that, during a, uh, what would you call this? An online session hosted by some strategy group, whatever the fuck. Anyway, Robert O'Brien said, quote, it has been suggested by some that it's speculation. That is the withdrawal. I can guarantee you that's the plan of the President of the United States. And that's what he said. And that appeared to be a clear reference to comments by the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Mark Milley, in an interview on Sunday with NPR, that O'Brien's previous troop-level projection amounted to speculation. And You know what's funny? I'm already seeing massive amounts of articles talking about how, oh, well, we can't leave, and the Afghans are terrified. And you know, I'll go back to what I said last week in my rant. I don't give a fuck, okay? I just don't. I don't care anymore. You can't sway me. I don't care. I don't care what happens in Afghanistan. I'm just ready for some politician to raise their hand and say the same thing. Of course, they won't do it. Even Trump's not going to say that. But I can assure you that's pretty much what we're all thinking. And nobody has the guts to say it out loud. 19 fucking years in Afghanistan with a, that den of fucking corruption and pedophilia and death. Yeah. Let's stay there some let's stay there longer. It, I heard it's about to turn around any minute. That's what I hear. It fucking makes me crazy, dude. So, very good. Yeah, get them out. There's nothing we can do for the Afghanistan people. They got to figure it out. That's all there is to it, and it's going to be messy, 
they'll have to do it themselves. Um, so I don't know. Hopefully it will it happen. Who knows? Take it with a grain of salt. And speaking of taking things with a grain of salt, let us talk about this New York Post article that was censored by Twitter. And I and I'm gonna get into more of this in the political roundup too, but I want to definitely get into this because this the story really isn't even what's in the actual article to me. Because, again, you have to take everything with a grain of salt, right? The story is the extraordinary length that the social media companies made to squash this story, including suspending people, blocking it from being tweeted out. And it's just incredible. And this, of course, is this story about how Hunter Biden introduced a Ukrainian businessman to his vice president father. Now, this would, of course, directly counteract Sleepy Joe's often repeated assertion that he had nothing to do with his son's business and he has nothing to do with any money changing hands or how his son was making money despite having no experience in energy or Ukraine somehow landed a sweet gig getting fucking tens of thousands of dollars a month. Now... Here's the basics of what the New York Post story claims, and then we'll get into the social media suppression of it. So Hunter Biden, it claims, introduced his father, then Vice President Joe Biden, to a top executive at a Ukrainian energy firm less than a year before the elder Biden pressured government officials in Ukraine into firing a prosecutor who was investigating the company. Now, the never-before-revealed meeting is mentioned in a message of appreciation that Vadim Polzarsky, who is an advisor to the board of Burisma, remember the Burisma Energy Company? That's who Hunter Biden worked for. That message of appreciation was allegedly sent to Hunter Biden on April 17, 2015, and that was about a year after Hunter joined the Burisma board at a reported salary of up to $50,000 a month, again, despite having no experience in either energy or Ukraine. The email reads, quote, Dear Hunter, thank you for inviting me to D.C. and giving me an opportunity to meet your father and spend some time together. It's realty and honor and pleasure. End quote. Reads the email. An earlier email from May 2014 also shows Pozarski, he was reportedly Burisma's number three executive, asking Hunter for, quote, advice on how you could use your influence, end quote. Obviously, that's why he was hired. And, again, this flies in the face of Joe Biden's claim that he, quote, never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings, end quote. And this, these letters, these emails, were contained in a massive trove of data recovered from a laptop computer. Now, this computer, the computer was dropped off at a repair shop allegedly, again, in Biden's home state of Delaware in April of 2019, according to the store's owner. Now, this store's owner, he says that the laptop was not picked up, like basically crackhead hunter dropped it off, forgot all about it. He was probably in a drug stoop or something. And then after 90 days, which is common if you drop stuff off and you never come back and pick it up, it does become the store's property. So then the guy decides to make a copy of the hard drive yeah, here we go. The customer who brought the water-damaged MacBook Pro for repair never paid for the service or retrieved it, or a hard drive on which the contents were stored. 
and the shop owner says he repeatedly tried to contact the client. The owner said he could not positively identify the customer as Hunter Biden, but said the laptop bore a sticker from the Bo Biden Foundation, of course, Hunter's late brother. Now, photos of a Delaware federal subpoena given to the New York Post show that both the computer and hard drive were seized by the FBI in December after the shop's owner says he alerted the feds to their existence. But before turning over the laptop, he decided to make a copy of the hard drive and then later gave that copy to former Mayor Ruli Giuliani's lawyer, Robert Costello. So basically, the F- what I want to know is why the FBI basically sat on this laptop and did nothing with it, right? And then, amusingly enough, other material extracted from the computer has a, there's a 12-minute video that appears to show Hunter smoking crack while engaged in a sex act <laughs> with an unidentified woman, as well as numerous other sexually explicit images. They do not specify what the sex act is, sadly. So, uh, Steve Bannon got involved, of course, former advisor to President Trump, and he told the New York Post about the existence of this hard drive in late September, and then Rudolph Giuliani provided the New York Post with a copy of it last Sunday. Uh, so, I'm just looking down here. There's a, it, It's a very long article. I, I don't, again, I'm taking it all with a huge grain of salt, right? Because, again, what's more interesting to me, like, yeah, I'm not shocking that fucking crackhead Hunter Biden, who has no experience in anything, would be hired solely because of his dad's position, clearly. But what is far more concerning is social media basically banning all mention of this. And if you look at today, I was I was scanning Twitter right before I started the podcast, the, the fucking meat, they're... It used to be the media was all about, like, they wanted to know everything. Now you have active members of the media shaming these social media groups, saying, how dare you allow people to spread this? And they keep calling it Russian disinformation. I'm like, so, okay, so let's let's get specific. So how do you think the Russian disinformation worked? Did the Russians bring a laptop into the computer repair store, whatever, a couple of years ago, and they planted everything on it? Is that what it is? By Is that what you mean by Russian disinformation? Did the Russians put the crack pipe in Hunter's mouth and record him having a 12-minute sex act with prostitutes? What exactly do you mean Russian disinformation? The entire, the emails are forged, anything? That's what I'm waiting to hear. And... This is kind of a preview, too, because Bo Erickson from CBS News actually last night managed, he was the first one, really, to ask Joe Biden about the response to the New York Post story. And tellingly, Bo, uh, uh, Joe Biden didn't say, these emails are false, I don't know what you're talking about. He basically said it's a smear campaign. And Bo Erickson's tweet, and you can look up Bo Erickson's Twitter account. He's at Bo Knows News, B-O-K-N-O-W-S-N-E-W-S. But I want you to look up that tweet because you should see the fucking replies underneath it. It's all from all these other journalists going, how dare you? How dare you ask Joe Biden about this Russian disinformation campaign? These are journalists. These are, they're supposed to speak truth to power. They're supposed to be aggressively questioning the highest, most powerful people in our democracy. Instead, they don't want anything to do with it. 
They want him just to shut up. This is Hillary's emails all over again because the journalists now are so wedded to defeating the orange man. They don't want anything to get in the way. So here's Joe Biden. You'll hear him, and you'll hear him respond to uh, the bow. Let's see. Okay, basically, I know it's a little hard to hear, but because there's a jet in the background, but Joe Biden basically said, oh, it's, I have no response to the smear campaign, blah, 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 blah. Now, originally, Twitter said, no, we're going to block all of this, and they're all big libs at Twitter. But they're continuing to shift all their policies and in some cases reversing entirely what they will and won't allow on their sites. So yesterday, Twitter did begin letting users share links to that New York Post article that it had previously blocked from its service. Now, the change was a 180-degree turn from Wednesday, writes the New York Times, when Twitter had banned the links to the article because the emails on which it was based may have been hacked and contained private information. That, of course, is absurd because many, many things have been allowed to trend on Twitter. A fucking couple weeks ago, we had Donald Trump's tax returns illegally obtained, by the way. That's private information. That was allowed to trend on Twitter. The uh, Edward Snowden, the WikiLeaks stuff, that was illegally obtained by hacking. That was allowed to trend on Twitter. It's nonsense. They, they, they just made that up. To say they don't allow hacked materials is a huge lie. They've done it many, many times. The John Podesta emails from the Hillary uh, Clinton 2016 campaign, those were allowed to be on Twitter. So they just made that up, and they were clearly caught. So after Republicans started fucking yelling at Twitter, saying, you're censoring us, and indeed, Twitter actually, for a brief while, uh, blocked the, they locked out the Trump official campaign account for tweeting this out. They also uh, blocked out Kayla McEnany, the Trump spokes, the press secretary, from accessing her account. So, I mean, this is like, to I, and I was speculating on Twitter, I wonder if they'll have the guts to suspend Trump if he tweets out that New York Post article. So, under pressure, Twitter backed down. They did lift the ban on the New York Post story altogether. Now, this follows a spate of changes from Facebook, and I have more on the Facebook stuff in, uh, a little later on, because Facebook, which over the past week said they would ban Holocaust denial content, ban more QAnon conspiracy pages, ban anti-vaccination ads, and suspend political advertising for an unspecified length of time. I mean, it's absurd, dude. I don't See, the, here's the way I look at it. I'm a fucking grown man. I don't need you acting as the gatekeeper for what is real or not. I have critical thinking skills. I approach everything rigorously. I'm never like throwing out saying, oh my God, I'm always telling you guys, like the fake Russia bounty story. When I first did the story, I gave you the story and I said at the time, take it with a huge grain of salt because we have no fucking named officials here. And then later on, it did turn out that it was totally debunked. The media not only debunked it, but the commanding general of U.S. forces Afghanistan, who you would fucking think would probably know, came out and said, there's nothing to substantiate any of this. So you got to take everything. We're in the age of disinformation. But as a grown man with critical thinking skills, I gather the information and I decide for myself what is real and what's fake. And I don't need some fucking Silicon Valley 19-year-old fact checker to tell me or keep it from me. 
These fact checkers, man. One of you guys did send me, you saying, uh, emailed me saying you know one. And I'm not joking. It is a 19-year-old college student social justice warrior. That's who's, that's, who's the, that's who's the gatekeeper for all this. So, anything else about this? Uh, there was a good article at The Intercept which kind of uh, summed up everything by Glenn Greenwald. And remember, the New York Post is one of the country's oldest and largest newspapers. It was founded in 1801. Only three U.S. newspapers are more widely circulated than the New York Post. So, they did publish that on its cover on Wednesday morning. And yeah, maybe it's overblown. We all really knew that Hunter was paid a large monthly sum by Burisma for basically nothing because of who his father was. We knew that. Uh, So... Again, the explanation of how the documents were obtained is still murky. Uh, We don't know all the details. But the emails do appear to be genuine emails. And this is undeniably a relevant story. You have a guy who's running for the highest office in the land, Joe Biden. And we want to know how possibly there was influence peddling going on related to his son's work in a foreign country. I mean, didn't we fucking lose our goddamn minds over 2016 and possible Russian interference? And the funny thing is pro-Biden journalists, again, were the ones who were creating the climate of hostility and suppression towards the Post story. And if you don't believe me, go look at anybody who brings it up. They be, they're attacked immediately by other journalists on Twitter and Instagram. Indeed... Just for noting the story on Twitter while criticizing it, New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman was instantly vilified to the point where her name was trending on Twitter along with the phrase MAGA Haberman. (laughs) Uh, So all these fucking Silicon Valley guys see all the fucking journalists, the $40,000 a year earning bloggers, And for some reason, these titans of industry shit themselves over these bloggers and immediately go to shut down the story. And yes, the guy who works for Facebook, that's a lifelong Democratic Party operative named Andy Stone, previously a communications operative for Democratic Senator Barbara Boxer and the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. What, do you think he's going to be a fucking arbiter of free speech? Come on. And he said, he came right out and said, yeah, we're going to limit the distribution of this article on our platforms. In other words, Facebook. So just as uh, pretty crazy. And oh, and then I forgot, Twitter actually locked the account of the New York Post, the Twitter account, banning the paper from posting any content all day and into Thursday. Crazy. It's wild that we have this censorship going on. And just because it's not the U.S. government, everybody's like, well, they can do what they want. We're in unprecedented times here. The way to distribute information now is through social media. That's the only way we have. So what are you supposed to do when these private companies throttle that information? And they decide. Just because it's not the U.S. government... If it was the U.S. government, clearly it's a First Amendment issue, but everybody says, well, they're a private company. They can do what they want. How is that possible, though? 
And I'm still waiting for a good explanation on that. Like, what's the difference between what they're doing and what, like, if you talk on the phone about the New York Post article, the phone company couldn't shut you down. So what the fuck is the difference? It's uh, something that we have not begun to grapple with. And don't tell me it's just a private company because the courts have already come out, remember, heavily covered here, and said that Donald Trump on his personal Twitter account cannot block people who want to comment on his Twitter account. In essence, giving people a right to use Twitter. And I asked, and I still haven't gotten a good answer for it, if that's true, then how can Twitter ban anybody from Twitter or suspend people? After all, you just created a right for me to comment, not just look at and read, but comment on the president's tweets on his personal Twitter account. You created that right, courts. So then how can Twitter turn around and say, like, well, we're a private company, we can do what we want? Well, no, you're not, because the courts have said already that I have a right to this Twitter account access. Do you see what I'm saying? None of it makes sense. And we haven't figured it out yet. My position is pretty simple. I'm a free speech advocate, guys. I say lay it all out. I don't care what nutty conspiracy theories are out there. Go ahead and lay it out. And then I'm going to use my brain as a critical thinking adult. But the journalists we have today don't want any of that. I know I'm spending a lot of time on this, and I kind of am trying to move on a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough deal. And both Facebook and Twitter receive substantial, unique legal benefits from federal law. And that further negates the claim that they are free to do whatever they want as private companies. These social media companies receive a very valuable and particularized legal benefit in the form, as which you probably saw floating around, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. That section shields them from any liability for content published on their platforms, including defamatory material or other legally prescribed communications. Now, the hard thing is if you repeal that Section 230, which I see a lot of Republican lawmakers saying, that is going to destroy the company anyway. So it's a lose-lose situation because clearly Twitter and Facebook cannot be held liable for everything that people put on their, uh, their sites, right? So if they repealed that and now they are liable, well, then they'd just shut down and we'd lose both of those media outlets. And yes, there is some argument to be made that maybe we'd be better off without Twitter. But Twitter is a good, Twitter's a tool. It's neither good nor evil. It's what you do with the tool. And it's, uh, Twitter is still the best thing going for breaking news and live news. I use it constantly. In 2018, Pew Research found that about two-thirds of U.S. adults, 68%, get news on social media sites. There you go. So what happens when those social media overlords decide there's some news that you should see and some news that you should not see. This is fucking scary shit, you guys. And the sad thing is that it's coming from the left-wing journalists themselves. I mentioned that they claimed originally, well, we don't hack public materials or we don't publish, we don't allow public materials to be uh, used on our sites. Obviously, that's completely false and I gave you a few examples, but here's a few more. Remember, uh, President Trump's call with the Ukrainian president almost right after he took office. That was an illegal leak of a whistleblower complaint. That was allowed to trend. I mentioned President Trump's tax returns just last, last month. Those were illegally obtained. It is a federal crime for any federal, state, or local government employee to release a tax return without the consent of the taxpayer. So how did the New York Times get those records? 
And that's available all over Twitter, clearly. And it was wildly trending everywhere. How about the Michael Flynn phone call? That was a classified phone call with the Russian ambassador to the United States, Sergei Kislyak. You guys remember that? The contents of that phone call were illegally leaked. Twitter and Facebook did not censor any of that information. Of course, the Steele dossier that set up Russiagate, the four-year fucking conniption that we've had, the phony Russia collusion story. That was allowed to trend, and indeed, major media outlets, including the Washington Post and New York Times, wrote many, many articles about this, and the Trump and the golden showers of the hookers peeing on the bed. It was absurd. That was allowed to trend. The WikiLeaks emails with Donald Trump Jr., that was allowed to trend. Many, many others. Secret recorded audio of Trump. Uh, Secret recordings of Melania Trump. Melania Trump did not consent to those recordings being released. That was allowed to trend all over Twitter as well. So, yeah, I, I, so that, that was absurd on its face. Okay, guys, is that all I have for it? It's, it's, uh, it's, I could easily spend the entire podcast on just that story. It's that important and fascinating. Bottom line, I'm a grown man. Fuck off with your gatekeeping and don't tell me what to think. I will make up my own mind. That's the way I look at it. All right, let us move on. How about this? We haven't talked about illegal immigration for a while. Let's uh, go to a big story here. The Supreme Court announced yesterday that it would hear a case on whether the Trump administration can exclude undocumented immigrants from the calculations it uses in apportioning congressional seats. So this has to do with the census. So the court said it will hear the arguments on November 30. Um. So basically, the case the court agreed to hear concerns whether the census should include undocumented immigrants. If the court rules for the administration, it would upend a consensus that the census must count all residents, whatever their immigration status. Okay. Now, the Constitution does require congressional districts to be apportioned, quote, counting the whole number of persons in each state, end quote, using information from the census. Of course, it's up for some considerable debate whether when they wrote that passage, they anticipated 10 million fucking illegal aliens in the United States, if not more. And why should a particular congressional district and some in Los Angeles County are overwhelmed with illegal aliens. Why should they get extra seats in our legislature, the federal legislature, and then pass laws? Why should they, why should they be able to pass laws based on a congressional district that's filled with people who aren't supposed to be here and were not asked to be here? I mean, it's a valid question in my eyes. Uh, here's a memo that the White House put out. They said current estimates suggest that one state, apparently referring to California, is home to more than 2.2 million illegal aliens, constituting more than 6% of the state's entire population. So if they included those illegal aliens in the population of the state for the purposes of the census, that could result in the allocation of two or three more congressional seats than would otherwise be allocated, which obviously would have huge ramifications for how any kind of vote would go. So 
The new policy that they put out was challenged by two sets of plaintiffs, one a group of state and local governments and the United States Conference of Mayors, and the second a coalition of advocacy groups. Boy, the advocacy groups, they always have tons of money, don't they? I wonder where all that money comes from. All right. So this is a big case, and it uh, should be very, very interesting to watch. I'm going to try to keep you guys updated on that. And speaking of the illegal immigration, our illegal border crossings are back on the rise after hitting a three-year low. Obviously, that was due to the tremendous coronavirus hit. So the Wall Street Journal reported on Thursday this week that Border Patrol agents caught 54,771 migrants crossing the U.S. border with Mexico last month and immediately expelled 48,327 of them. That makes it the busiest September at the border since 2006. I would have to believe, we've gone over the uh, laws a lot here, if you remember, you can only immediately expel people who are either from Canada or Mexico. Anybody else has to have that, it's that stupid law where they have to get a, you know, a hearing with a judge. So if they immediately expelled 48,000 of them, I would suspect that almost all of them that were caught were from Mexico. So they were basically, we can turn them around immediately. Apprehensions along the border have been steadily increasing since hitting a three-year low in April of just over 16,000. That was the first full month after President Trump declared an emergency at the border in March, citing the coronavirus pandemic and that authorized border agents to quickly remove nearly every foreigner caught crossing in the U.S. without giving them a chance to ask for asylum. Good. Remember, and then prior to that, it was, uh, it was a fucking shit show with all the massive amounts of illegal immigration. That was the—we had a year of record-breaking border jumping before the Trump administration pressed Mexico to agree to measures designed to end the flood of migrants across the U.S. southern border. Remember, that's when Mexico, under the threat of tariffs, finally decided to do something about it. And I still remember all the stupid fucking journalists when Trump came out and said, yeah, we're going we're gonna to make Mexico's life miserable, and the journalists all sneered at it, saying, ah, that'll never work. And then Mexico promptly did everything we asked them to do, and border illegal border crossings dropped tremendously. So once again... All the pundits were completely wrong. You wave the, What's the point of having the big stick if you don't fucking wave it around every once in a while? And that's what we did. And that's what Trump did, and he was spot on with that one. Of course, he won't get any credit for that. So, uh, good, good information in that Wall Street Journal article. The total, writes the Wall Street Journal, for the 12-month period ending in September marked a return to the levels recorded during the Obama administration when Border Patrol agents registered more than 500,000 annual apprehensions only once in the 2009 budget year. Such apprehensions at the border had been declining since June 2019 when the administration ramped up a policy that forced asylum seekers to wait out their court cases in Mexico, and they remained low through last fall. Yeah, that was another big one. They said, no, 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 you don't get to wait in the United States anymore and go off to be with the fucking familia in Los Angeles and then never show up to court. If, you, if you're really claiming asylum, fine, you can wait in Mexico. And that's when they were all like, oh, well, they knew they, were, they were all had phony asylum cases, so they just went back home. 
All right. Um, anything else with the illegal border crossings? Yeah. All right. Well, very good. Keep up the hardware. It is creeping back up as the coronavirus thing. Like, even the illegal border crossers don't give a shit about coronavirus anymore. All right. How about something a little more close to home? This one was good. A teenage boy was shot and killed, and another in custody for questioning after an incident outside an apartment complex east of Houston. This happened about 2 a.m. This the, and the backstory is fascinating. A 911 caller said he arrived at the apartment complex to meet a woman he had met online when two young males approached him armed with what appeared to be an AR-15 rifle. Well, these guys walked up to this dude with their AR-15 to rob him. So it was like one of these catfishing things, right? Yeah, put up a picture. I'm sure the I'm sure they put up a picture of a very hot, buxom chick with some TNA. The guy swiped right. They linked up. He's like, she's like, come over and give it to me at 2 a.m. And he's like, I'll be there in 10 minutes. So these these kids who set up the phonies thing walked up to him, and apparently this was a fake rifle. Well, unfortunately for them, the guy who swiped right had a real gun. And he drew his weapon and fired and killed one of the fucking guys trying to ra- uh, rob him. And yes, deputies did later determine the weapon the teens had was actually a toy rifle made to resemble an AR-15. Whoops! Yeah, that works all the way up until you find the guy with the real gun. Mm, you fucked up, kids. Okay, let's go to this one. This kind of was snuck under the radar. Here's a military story for you. Um, a man, a, a contractor, was killed in 2017 during an active weapons training exercise on Holloman Air Force Base. I never even heard about this. This was actually way back in January 31st of 2017 at White Sands Missile Range, right? And Charles Holbrook was killed when he was shot by an instructor pilot and a student pilot during a training exercise. Um, he was apparently a civilian contractor, and this wrongful death claim was filed like almost a year later, December 2017, 2018. The training exercise used live fire and was executed at night. So Holbrook was killed when an F-16 student pilot mistook the line of rental cars for the similarly aligned target cars and was ordered to fire at the group, blowing up one of the rental cars and striking Holbrook in the head with a 20-millimeter round from the F-16 cannon. He died several hours later. Wow. Yep, the exercise began at 6.21 p.m. with a line of vehicles parked on a dirt oval with a road running north as a target. And they had some strobe IR beacons there, infrared, to distinguish it from the target. But the student pilot... Did not state he saw the probe. Anyway, he fucking shot at the wrong thing, long story short, and uh, smoked this guy. So it's in the news now because this wrongful death suit has been settled. 
Now, they are not disclosing the settlement amount, but the family originally uh, sued for $24,633,042.13 in damages. So the actual amount given, settled, was lower and is confidential. That's fucking crazy. How do you even make that mistake? Like, somebody fucked up bad. I don't know. Okay, let's do some more international news here. Let's go back to France here really quick. There's a retired French surgeon who's facing 312 pedophilia and abuse charges. Prosecutors say that the vast majority of the accusers were 15 years old or younger. This could be France's biggest ever pedophilia and sexual abuse case. And this is 70-year-old Joel Le Squarneck, a specialist in abdominal surgery. And he is being accused of having abused 312 people over three decades at several hospitals in central and western France. The average age of the victims were 11 years old. And he had already been charged with sexual abuse of minors in 2017. In that case, uh, that led investigators to discover diaries he kept. But the public prosecutor's office had initially identified 343 potential victims, but eventually dismissed 31 cases because the statute of limitations had lapsed or for lack of evidence. But they still have a remaining 312 people. Wow. France recently toughened laws against sex crimes and extended the statute of limitations for rape against a minor to 30 years uh, from 20 years. Now, Le Squarneck was first arrested in 2017 after a six-year-old girl living in his neighborhood reported him to her parents. Uh, Mr. Le Squarneck allegedly showed her his penis and digitally penetrated her. So that led to an investigation committed against four underage girls between 1989 and 2017, including that six-year-old girl and two members of Le Squarneck's own family. Gross. Oh, God. (laughs) What investigators did not anticipate was that a search of Le Squarneck's home as part of that first investigation revealed a lot more than they expected. Some of the things they found... A three-foot-tall toy doll, mannequin wigs, child pornography images, and yes, secret diaries recounting in great detail his sexual encounters with scores of children at hospitals where he practiced between 1989 and 2017. Jesus. The diaries, which consisted of notes typed on a computer, included some paragraphs, elaborate and detailed, rich in details that are difficult to bear. Wow. Dude, why would you document your crime? Yeah, just toss them off a bridge or something. That would be great. All right. How about over in Pakistan? Militants attacked a convoy of Pakistan's biggest oil and gas exploration company in Baluchistan province, killing at least 14 people. And this attack reflected an escalation of violence in the resource-rich province where separatists have waged a low-intensity insurgency for decades and where the local population has long complained of getting an inequitable share of Baluchistan's wealth of minerals, oil, and natural gas. And in particular, 
Chinese citizens have been among those coming under separatist attacks in recent years, particularly by the Baluchistan Liberation Army that is listed as a terrorist group by the United States. So in this latest attack, seven paramilitary soldiers and seven private security guards, all assigned to protect the convoy, were killed in this attack. No company workers or militants were reportedly killed. Officials said this convoy was from an exploration firm, the Oil and Gas Development Company, and they were heading from Gwadar to Karachi, about a 150-mile trip, and it was ambushed by a large number of militants in the middle of the day. And yeah, they said the separatist group in claiming responsibility for the attack said that exploration and drilling in the province without the consent of the Baluch people was unacceptable. Hmm. Yeah, they wanted their they want their cut. In a separate episode, six army soldiers, including a captain, were killed by a roadside bomb in North Waziristan, in the northwestern part of the country, and the Pakistani Taliban claimed responsibility for that attack. Let's give you a quick update on Kyrgyzstan. I've been talking about that uh, for the last couple weeks. Remember, the president of Kyrgyzstan, which is Central Asia's only democracy, after more than a week in hiding following that disputed election, announced his plans to resign. So that is from the president, Sarunbai Jinbakov. And in a statement, he did say he had, quote, taken a decision to resign, end quote, though he did not specify whether he had already quit. However, just a few hours earlier, Jinbakov had assured a delegation of former senior officials and political veterans that he had no plans to step down and would stand firm against a power grab widely believed to be backed by criminal elements. Hmm. Remember, just to review, Jinbakov basically vanished from view after protesters, enraged by that October 4th parliamentary election, that was marred by alleged widespread vote buying, stormed the president's office and other government buildings in the capital of Bishkek. So his exact whereabouts remain unclear. And his departure is the third time in 15 years that violent protests have toppled a president of Kyrgyzstan, the only country in the region with a vibrant civil society, a relatively free press, and regular competitive elections for parliament and the presidency. Now, the Kremlin, which in 2010 helped engineer the toppling of a Kyrgyzstan president who had resisted Russian pressure to shut down a since-closed U.S. airbase in his country, responded coolly to the announcement. Uh, Mr. Jinbakov has had good relations with President Vladimir Putin of Russia. So, we still don't really know what's going on or who the president of Kyrgyzstan is, so that's going on. All right, quickly, coronavirus update. Uh, let's go to our uh, live updates page. First, let's give the quick uh, map and case count. Uh, total reported cases in the United States, 8.1 million. That is a 29% increase in the 14-day change. Yes, cases are spiking. 
deaths. We're sitting at 218,924 in the United States, and that 14-day change is down 2%. So again, we see the split between the rise in cases, the rise in positive cases, but deaths overall are still trending downward. At least 909 new coronavirus deaths and 70,451 new cases were reported in the United States on October 16th. Uh, yeah, and I'm just looking at the hotspot map. It's really in the Midwest and upper Midwest is where the latest uh, rises are all taking place. As I try to scroll through, and it, Safari is once again not responding to my... Every, every week, guys... Every fucking week I got to deal with this shit from the iPad. You wouldn't believe it. The mysterious tabs rearranging themselves, I still haven't figured out. My only goal at the my only hope at this point is to uh just basically get a new iPad completely. I think I'm going to go with the the new iPad Pro, the brand new one. It looks like the shit and hopefully that will uh kind of fix this for me. I don't know why is the second I go on the New York Times like interactive page, everything just goes crazy. I don't know why. Okay, so as far as, okay, we're back now. As far as the latest updates, let me just scroll down here. Uh, Trump will travel to Wisconsin on Saturday for a rally, and that's relevant in this case because Rock County, Wisconsin, where the rally will take place, is one of a dozens of counties in the state that has been overwhelmed by a record surge in cases over the past week. Okay, well, then don't fucking don't go if you're scared of it. Then don't go. Uh, so, officials in Wisconsin reported more than 4,160 new cases on Friday, setting a single-day record. And uh, so we'll see what happens. Again, though, I just wish a, a case is not a death sentence. We know that. And they're, they're also going in Wisconsin. They're also kind of battling it through the courts. On Wednesday, a county judge blocked an order that had been limiting out indoor dining at most restaurants and bars to 25% capacity. They're like, you just can't do this. So they're going to go ahead with it. In Europe, two foreign ministers have been infected with a coronavirus, raising fears that they caught it at a European Union meeting. That would be the Australian and Belgian foreign minister. They both tested positive for the coronavirus. And this comes as they attended a gathering at the Foreign Affairs Council. Uh, Cuomo, Governor Andrew Cuomo says select movie theaters outside New York City can reopen next week. Um, Nick Saban, the coach of the Alabama football team, he has now been cleared to coach on Saturday night tonight after a series of negative tests this week, just three days after getting a positive test. But... Nick Saban, 68 years old, never showed any symptoms. So what the hell is this? I've had questions all along about the number of false positives. We seem like we've had quite a few now. I'm starting to question these. Well, I'm not starting to question. I'm questioning the accuracy of these tests that we've been using. Oh, here we go. The initial result, the positive test on Saban, came from what is considered the most reliable type of test for the virus. That is the polymerase chain reaction test, or no, that's known as the PCR. 
Um, let's see. And yeah, and that's not the only one. Uh, both the Jets and the Colts from the NFL, they had players test positive, but then both teams announced days later that retesting showed that their players were negative. <laughs> oh, man. Who the hell knows? We know nothing, really. That's the way it is. Uh, Pope Francis had a guy living in the same residence as he does test positive for the coronavirus, and there was an outbreak among the Swiss guards, the Vatican's uh, uniformed force that protects him. Uh, Hawaii has eased restrictions on tourists, finally. They began a major reopening project this week that would allow visitors to bypass the state's mandatory 14-day quarantine process. On Thursday, Hawaii welcomed about 8,000 travelers on the first day of its reopening. And clearly, they can't go on. They're heavily dependent on tourism, and they, they really need this. A cluster of coronavirus cases in a rural area of Switzerland may be linked to two yodeling concerts. <laughs> These yodeling concerts attracted hundreds of unmasked spectators. I didn't even know they had yodeling concerts. How about that? About 600 people had attended these concerts on September 24th and 25th. Nine days after the concerts, organizers were informed that one of the yodelers had tested positive for the virus. I love the yodeling. There's my yodeling for you. See, I should be in the concert. Not only am I the greatest rapper of our time, I'm also the greatest yodeler of our time. Little known fact about that. Chancellor Angela Merkel urged Germans to keep mask rules going and to heed social distancing um, because they are undergoing a record number of new coronavirus infections in Germany. They, remember, had a relatively mild first wave and a mild summer. But now, German health authorities registered 7,830 new cases on Friday, the third successive record-breaking day for the number of infections in a 24-hour period since the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. So that's still going on. Britain is trying out drones to deliver coronavirus tests and samples to hospitals. Thailand is confirming infections along its border with Myanmar. And that's the first time since May that Thailand confirmed multiple locally transmitted cases of the coronavirus in that border town with Myanmar. Thailand has so far prevented runaway transmission of COVID-19 partly by all but banning foreign visitors. Uh, they have confirmed about 3,700 coronavirus cases since the pandemic began, but Myanmar has reported around 10 times as many. Yeah. Anything else? There's your, yeah, that, that's your coronavirus update. And, um, yeah, curiously enough, yeah, see, there go my, see, it did it again, you guys. My tabs just all instantly rearranged themselves. <laughs> I don't know why it does. Well, speaking of Thailand, let's go right into this. They, there's a lot of protests going on right now against the Thai royal family. And for months, pro-democracy demonstrators have gathered by the thousands to call for reforms to the monarchy and military. These are obviously influential institutions that have dominated Thailand's power structure for decades. This is, whoa, this name. Uh, <laughs> this guy is the king his last name, I'm looking at his name. His last name alone is like 25 fucking letters. Let me see if I can sound it out. 
This is King Maha Vajira Longcorn. And here's the last name. Badindrade Bayavarankyan. There you go. Let's just call him King Maha. So, the monarchy in Thailand is very exalted, you know, but um, they're now protesting the whole thing, and uh, the prime minister, a retired general named Prayuth Chan Ocha, has ordered riot police to clear the protesters from their rally site. Officials did impose an emergency decree in Bangkok, and gatherings of five or more people were not permitted. Hmm. Anything else about this uh, king in here? Yeah, taboos surrounding the monarchy have fallen in rapid succession. In Parliament, opposition legislatures are demanding an investigation of royal budgets. Yeah, so they're getting tired of paying for these grifters and the king, uh, the, the royal family there. So we'll keep an eye on that one. And they also tried to block a change.org position calling for the king to step down. They also tried to do that, so good luck with that. All right, why don't we go right into the uh, political roundup here. And uh, we had those uh, stupid uh, town hall things, and you guys probably noticed I didn't do, I was going to do the debate again, but of course we didn't have debate. We had two separate town halls. So I have a few clips from that. Uh, first, though, the latest polls, they do show Joe Biden way ahead. And I know, I get the message every week. The polls don't mean anything, BK. We all saw it happen in 2016. True. But these polls are consistent, and they're pretty wide. And this one from Politico, well, it's not from Politico. The article's at Politico. This is a New York Times Siena College poll released this week, and it shows that Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden has maintained his leads in Michigan and Wisconsin. And these are obviously states that are vital to President Donald Trump's victory four years ago and any possible victory he might have this year. So, in Michigan, 48% of likely Michigan voters back Biden, while 40% favor Trump, an eight-point edge. And that has come down a few points from the 11-point lead that Biden had in June. Uh, let's see. And then in uh, Wisconsin, God, this article is just fucking written horribly. All over the place. In Wisconsin, the real clear politics average of Wisconsin polling, which includes surveys from September 20th to October 5th, shows Biden ahead of Trump by 5.5 percentage points in uh, Wisconsin. Remember, Trump won Michigan by 0.3 percentage points, and he won Wisconsin by one percentage point. So they're both leaning. Democratic. It's not looking good for uh, Trump. So back to the stupid town halls. Uh, let's see, I have a few clips here. Infamously is Joe Biden saying police officers should de-escalate situations with violent criminal suspects who are like charging at them, waving knives by shooting them in the leg. Oh, I love this. Let's listen. To this we can thing. do this. You can ban chokeholds. You can, but, but beyond that, you have to teach people how to de-escalate circumstances. De-escalate. So instead of anybody coming at you and the first thing you do is shoot to kill, you shoot them in the leg. There's ways you have to do more background <laughs> checks in terms of whether or not uh, the person coming in 
pass a certain psychological test. And the last thing I'll say, and I'm sorry, because it was really, I think, really, really important, is you have to be in a position where you are able to identify identify the things that have to change. And one of the things that has to change is so many cops get called into circumstances where somebody is mentally off. Yeah. Look what happened not long ago with that guy with the knife. That's why we have to provide, within police departments, psychologists and social workers. Oh, fuck off with that. So you're going to send a social worker to the crazy vagrant holding a knife? And hey, when is Joe Biden going to go to a fucking police lab and do one of those virtual reality demonstrations and have a guy fucking charge him with the knife? And let's see Joe Biden shoot him in the leg. For those of you who don't know, it's absurd. You don't get trained to use deadly force by shooting in the leg. First of all, you're probably going to miss. It's always you shoot center mass. Anybody who's fucking picked up a handgun and had any kind of lesson, that's the that's what they teach you. Center mass, center mass, center mass all day long. Nobody's teaching shooting in the leg because it's next to impossible. He's a fucking idiot for even saying that, and he should be called out every time he says something stupid like that. Shoot him in the leg. Yeah, I want to see Joe Biden shoot some. I want to see Joe Biden shoot a sprinting vagrant with a knife in the leg. Let me see that. Uh, and then here was another woman uh, asking about her transgender daughter. Let's listen to this uh, meandering answer here. Um, I'm good, thank you. Um, I'm the proud mom of two girls, eight and ten. My youngest daughter is transgender. <laughs> The Trump administration has attacked the rights of transgender people, banning them from military service, um, weakening non-discrimination protections, and even removing the word transgender from some government websites. How will you, as president, reverse this dangerous and discriminatory agenda and ensure that the lives and rights of LGBTQ people are protected under U.S. law. I will flat out just change the law. Eliminate those executive orders, number one. You may recall, I'm the guy who said, uh, I was raised by a man who, uh, I remember I was being dropped off. My my, my dad was a high school educated, well-read man who... uh, was a really decent guy, and I was being dropped off to get an application in the center of our city, Wilmington, Delaware, the corporate capital of the world at the time. And these two men, I'm getting out to get a, an application to be a lifeguard in the African-American community because yep. it was a big swimming yes, pool Yes, complex. corn pop. Yes, and, we know. Uh, Speed it up. these two men, well-dressed, leaned up and hugged one another and kissed one another. I'm getting out of the <laughs> car at the light, and I turn to my dad. My dad looked at me and said, Joey, it's simple. They love each other. The idea that an eight-year-old child or a ten-year-old child decides, you know, I decided I want to be transgender. That's what I think I'd like to be. It may make my life a lot easier. There should be zero discrimination. And what's happening is too many transgender women of color are being murdered. They're being murdered. How many is too many? I mean, I think it's up to now 17. Don't hold me to that number, but it's it's, it's incredible. It's, it's higher well now. within their stats and to just, the just population. And so I promise you, there is no reason to suggest that there should be any right denied your daughter. Okay, or so it sounds like in this clip, let me just stop him here. It sounds like in that clip that he's saying if an eight-year-old decides they're transgender, that's the end of the debate and that's it. So what? Then what, immediately start the hormone therapy? Immediately go into genital surgery? 
Please, Joe, tell me. I'd really like to know what you more specifically what you think about that. Uh, here he is talking about making the vaccine, the coronavirus vaccine, mandatory as president. Well, I don't know if he says it or not. Let's hear what, it, well, let's hear what he says. Exactly. If it's safe, it's, if it's effective, will you mandate its use? The answer is depending on how clear <laughs> wow. the vaccines, they say, have a very positive impact and they're going to affect positively 85% of the American public. Or there's others say this vaccine is really the key. This is, this is, this is the golden key. It depends on the state of the nature of the vaccine, when it comes out, and how it's being distributed. That would depend on. But I would think that we should be talking about, depending on the continuation of the spread of the virus, we should be thinking about making it mandatory. How could you enforce that? Well, you couldn't. That's the problem. Just like you can't afford, you can't enforce measles. You can't, you can't come to school unless you have a measles shot. You know, you can't. Sorry. So I, I think he, we should be thinking about making it mandatory. Okay, well. Well, the question is, again, this is like the Kamala Harris thing. We're having the question right now. So what's the fucking answer, Joe? He doesn't answer, of course. Uh, speaking of Kamala Harris, she was on with Rachel, Rachel Maddow. You know, I've often talked about her phony laughter, and this is just her and Rachel Maddow, uh, like with this very phony laughter. It's very awkward. I just thought the clip was funny. Let's listen. You as mad as everybody else is that NBC is doing a town hall with President Trump tomorrow? <laughs> instead of the debate at the same time that Vice President Biden's going to be on ABC? Uh, I'm not touching that. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you a different angle. Yeah, yeah. Should the networks <laughs> refuse to give the president other opportunities for airtime if he's the one who well, refuses the chance to debate? I, you know, I'm not going to tell the networks what to do, but I'll tell you, I know who I'm going to be watching. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, well just done. A, just Come a on. couple of gals laughing for no reason at all. It's something that's not funny at all. Oh, got to love it. Uh, here was, let me see, what else do I have in the political roundup clip pile here? Well, here's a super, let's contrast Sleepy Joe's uh, softballs. With Savannah Guthrie, here's a super cut of Savannah Guthrie repeatedly cutting off Donald Trump. Like, it was almost like a debate between her and him. I have to be out there. I also know... Well, there's no one that says you can't be out there, but it's just about wearing masks and having, for example, your but rallies. I know this tremendous spikes. But our death rate is worse than, well, not Spain, but those well, other I have, countries. I have the United States is down 21%. But we have, per, our deaths per capita is among the highest... And I wouldn't be able to get the word out. And the word, well, the word is, is false. And you know what? They're dumped in a garden garbage can and they happen to have my name on it i'm not happy okay, about that but just those are cases I mean, there is no there is in fact no evidence of widespread fraud i want the money to go to directly are to senate the republicans with you they're going to go big they'll for go. big yeah, old they'll number go. they'll go they're going to be okay, very happy so far they have not i got rid of the individual mandate but that the, went the through the legislature was repeal and replace. we will always protect people with pre-existing now i have zero problem with that but just compare that to the fucking blowjob that Sleepy Joe got from Democratic far-left activist George Stephanopoulos. It's fucking night and day. The media is a complete joke. They fucking disgraced themselves this week again. And they're a complete embarrassment. 
Uh, okay, and speaking of the media, this one is great too. Here's Nancy Pelosi, and every time Nancy Pelosi gets even a tiny question that isn't fucking sucking her off, she just goes ballistic. So here's stupid Wolf Blitzer and Nancy Pelosi, and Wolf Blitzer is asking her, yo, what's up with this stimulus package? You know, Trump is on board, and he, you're not budging. So what's the deal? Let's listen to this back and forth. And their proposal either. But let's not but go into that. Yeah, you evidently do that. not respect the chairman of the committees who I re- wrote these I respect, bills. I respect and all I of you. And I wish you would respect the knowledge that goes into getting uh, the, uh, the, meeting the needs of the American people. But again, you've been on JAG defending the administration all this time with no knowledge of the difference between our two bills, and I thank you for giving me the opportunity to say that to you in person. Madam Speaker, these are are incredibly difficult times right now, uh, and we'll leave it on that note. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll leave it on the vote that you are not right on this, Wolf, and I hate to say that to Uh, you, but I feel confident about it, and I feel confident about my colleagues, and I feel confidence in my chairs. It's not about me. It's about millions of Americans who can't put food on the table, who can't pay the rent, and who are we having represent trouble, them. And we represent them. Getting and by we represent these them. long food and lines that we're seeing. Them. I know we you know are. Them. I'm, I'm just we saying. We represent them, and we know them. As we, we say, we know them. We represent them. Don't let yes. the perfect be the enemy of the good, as they say. It is here nowhere in near perfect. Madam Speaker. Always the case, but we're not even close to the good. All right, let's see what happens, because every day is critically, critically important. Thanks so much Thank for joining us. Thank you for your us. sensitivity to our constituents' needs. I am sensitive to them, because I see them on the street begging for food, begging for money. Madam Speaker, thank you, you so much. Have you fed them? We feed them. We we'll, feed them. We'll continue this conversation <laughs> down the road for sure. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. Oh, wow. Wolf. Wolf, you had the temerity to question the queen a little bit too hard. See what you get? That's fantastic. Uh, what else for the media? Here is um, here is Biden campaign co-chair Cedric Richmond. He's a, rep- a congressional representative. He claims Joe Biden's answers on court packing are enough. And uh, he's saying, well, no, he hasn't dodged the question. He's just said he's not going to answer the question, which is packing, funny. But he is not come out and said what he will do. He's not announced his position, he said, until after the election, uh, to the the great dismay of many on on the left of your party. Is that enough for people who are voting right now? Yes, it's enough. He has not dodged the question. What he has said is he's not going to answer the question, and I think that that is uh, a difference. But if you talk... (laughs) I love that. I love that. That was it for that clip? Okay. Oh, no, he's not dodging it. He's just not going to answer it. That's funny. Uh, and then let's see what else for the clips. Well, this is kind of a saved round on the whole uh, Twitter New York Panthers, but this is part of the political roundup because this is uh, Joe Biden's campaign responding to that New York Post story. And it's funny, they use circular logic here. Their defense is, well, if Twitter's censoring it, that means it's clearly false. That's their defense to it. Let's listen to this dope. I would also want to ask you on um, Twitter has been under a little bit of fire for blocking tweets connected to this recent New York Post article um, about Hunter Biden's connections in Ukraine and Joe Biden's alleged involvement when he was vice president. Uh, What is your campaign response to this article? And do you think that Twitter is doing the right thing here? Well, look, um, I I think Twitter's response to the actual uh, uh, article itself uh, makes clear that these, uh, you know, purported allegations are false uh, and they're not true. 
uh, and glad to you know to see uh, you know um, social media companies like Twitter taking responsibility to limit misinformation. Okay, for, it's it's not been proven at all that they're false and not true. And again, the emails appear to be very very real. So I don't know what he's talking about there. And let's finish up with Trump, of course, as we like to do. Uh, let's go first. I got a couple. He had, he held a couple of these uh, rallies. So here he is talking about the media, which I love. Let's listen to this first. And, and I'll tell you, and this is true, it's the single, which just about, it causes the problems. It's the enemy of the people. Our media is the enemy of the people. It's very, very dangerous what they do. And you've never seen it more than the last week between the big tech and they're working on Section 230. You watch what's going to happen. But you've never seen a more egregious case than what's been happening over the last three or four years. I will deliver optimism, opportunity, and hope. Speaking of hope, Hope Hicks is here. Where's Hope uh, okay. Hicks? Hope Hicks is there. Get up there, Hope Hicks. Hope Hicks is a babe, dude, by the way. And here he is uh, ripping on, uh, on Hunter and talking about the New York Post article. It's just Yesterday we learned from newly released emails, and I want to thank the New York Post for showing real bravery. That Joe Biden has been blatantly lying about his involvement in his son's corrupt business dealings. Joe Biden is a corrupt politician, and he has been corrupt for many years, and everybody in Washington knew it. And just now, a little while ago, a new story shows up that Hunter made a deal with a wealthy Chinese business magnet for $10 million a year for introductions only. Introductions. I don't know. Will you take $10 million a year to introduce people? Yeah, to introduce Dad. Dad, say hello. And by the way, Dad, give them everything they want. Okay? Give them everything they want, Dad. <laughs> That was the latest thing to come out, too. I don't have that story in front of me, but there's more on this laptop, apparently, with some Chinese uh, Chinese businessmen. Uh, here is Donald Trump talking about his son, Baron Trump, and how Baron recovered from COVID-19. Baron Trump, you know, he had, he had the Corona-19, the China virus. It's got 21 different names. I could go over it. But to me, Corona means Italy. China is China, and it China. came from China. So he had the China virus, right? And he had it for such a short period of time. I don't even think he knew he had it. Because they're young, and their immune systems are strong, and they fight it off 99.9%. And Barron is beautiful, and he's free. Yeah, Baron Trump. Baron Trump is like 6'10". Have you seen how tall that kid is? And then finally, of course, this clip was going around. This one was funny. Uh, Trump is claiming now he's immune to the coronavirus, and he's feeling powerful, and he says he's willing to kiss everyone in the rally audience. Yeah. Me, the nice part. I went through it. Now they say I'm immune. I can feel, I feel so powerful. I'll walk into that audience. I'll walk in there. I'll kiss everyone in that audience. I'll kiss the guys and the beautiful women and them. Everybody, I'll just All right, our first bisexual president. Well, probably not. He's probably like the 10th bisexual president, if I had to guess. Is that all for the political roundup? Okay, I'll have more. Uh, yeah, I got other stuff going on, but that is our political roundup. Let's keep going.
And let's talk about that shooting at that Denver rally. And I had a lot of fun with this one, with this uh, high-speed guard who shot a guy dead. And this guard is now facing murder charges in that shooting at the Denver rally. So this was the security guard for a Denver television news station who was arrested in the fatal shooting of a man after a right-wing rally last weekend. You guys saw it. He is going to be charged with second-degree murder, they announced this week. If convicted, the guard, a 30-year-old guy named Matthew Doloff, faces up to 48 years in prison. Now, the shooting, of course, was captured on videos and photographs that circulated widely in news reports and on social media, and it occurred at the conclusion of what they called a Patriot Muster rally on Saturday. So as people were leaving this rally, they encountered left-wing counter-protesters south of Civic Center Park near the Denver Art Museum. So according to the warrant, the fatal encounter began around 3.30 p.m. when the victim, 49-year-old Lee John Keltner, was arguing with another man near the park. Mr. Keltner abruptly broke off that argument and confronted Mr. Doloff. Moments later, Keltner struck Doloff on the side of the head with his hand. Doloff then drew a gun from his waistband, aimed and fired a shot as Keltner discharged a mace-like substance. So Keltner falls to the ground. The police arrest Doloff, who is still holding his handgun, and you guys have all seen the pictures. Keltner was taken to Denver Medical Center, where he was pronounced dead, and they did rule his death a homicide. Now, the funny part was a Denver news channel, Nine News, identified the man detained in the shooting, Doloff, as a private security guard who was hired by Channel Nine News. They added that it had been the practice of Nine News for a number of months to hire private security to protect staff at protests. Well, they then reported that it had contracted for Mr. Doloff's services through Pinkerton, a private security guard agency. But that company then told the station it did not employ Doloff and declined to name the company that did. So this is all very murky. So Pinkerton, even though he was not a direct employee for Pinkerton, but Pinkerton say they did contract out, and this guy was apparently some kind of contractor, but Pinkerton is disavowing all this. So he... The guard, Doloff, did not have the proper permit to do this type of security work before the shooting. And his lawyer is saying even if he didn't have the proper license, uh, it did not change the fact that Doloff was acting in self-defense. So that's what they're going to play for. And I don't know all the laws in Denver. So I'm asking, if a guy hits you in the face and then pulls out bear spray or a can, or if you see something in his hand, are you cleared hot to draw and fire your weapon? That's going to be the big thing. Remember, they originally arrested him on first-degree murder charges. That was stupid. They immediately downgraded that. But that's going to be the big thing. Like, if somebody's beating you in the face and pulling out something shiny from his waistband, are you cleared hot? Are you going to say to the judge, I was in fear for my life, so I defended myself? I don't know what the... Colorado law is like, you know, duty to retreat or stand your ground. I don't know anything about that. So if you guys live in Colorado and you know something about that, you can hit me up on the uh, messages. Meanwhile, the guy who was shot dead, he was a veteran. 
And yeah, man, you know, I, I, I've told, I said it before, guys, you, when you go to these events, you have to go with the expectation that you're going to fight. And this guy, the victim, Lee Keltner, clearly he did expect to fight. If he's armed with fucking bear, bear mace or whatever that was, you can see him in the pictures spraying from a can of some kind. I don't know if it was regular mace or pepper spray or bear mace or whatever the hell it was. But yeah, they say that Keltner, the veteran, had been a hatter, a guy who makes hats at Crossfire Hats in Denver's historic district for over 20 years. And it's just a fucking tragedy. You know, you go to this shit. I don't know, this guy Doloff, I don't know what his training was. I was kind of making fun of him on social media because I did note that he had his watch uh, turned inboard, very operator. But he's got these like little gut, you know, he's got a little pot belly, he's got this zit face, and he's got these little spaghetti girlish arms. I mean, he doesn't look like any fucking kind of, uh, he appears to be holding the weapon correctly, so apparently he has been trained on how to use a handgun. But beyond that, I'd like to know what his background is and why Channel 9 News is hiring these security guards who look like little bitch boys and what his background was that would possibly justify such a hiring, and what Pinkerton knew about it. I suspect there's going to be many, many, many lawsuits here. All right, let's keep going here. And um, I'm just looking around here. Well, let's go to this one. This was I, I didn't put this one in the political roundup because I felt it deserved its own section. And this was the... Mayor of Anchorage, Alaska, who has resigned. And he admitted to an inappropriate messaging relationship with a local TV news anchor who then lodged bizarre allegations against him. So Mayor Ethan Berkowitz said he apologized to the people of Anchorage when he had a consensual, inappropriate relationship with reporter Maria Athens. Now, Athens is an anchor for the local Fox and ABC-affiliated news stations. She posted a video to her professional Facebook page last Friday alleging Berkowitz posted an illicit photo of himself to an underage girl's website. And the anchor claimed that accusations were coming from reliable sources and said the story would be airing later that night. Well, the Anchorage police and the FBI looked into it and they found no criminal conduct. Berkowitz blasted the claims as slanderous and categorically false. So then, later on Friday, Athens posted to her Facebook page a nude image purporting to be Berkowitz along with the mayor's initial statement. The anchor was also arrested at work later that day for punching the station manager, whom she was also romantically involved with. <laughs> uh, she acted out at her Saturday arraignment, interrupting the court with frequent outbursts. Oh, this is funny. This chick is just a fucking nut job, dude. So... It's pretty wild. So, um, yeah, he did the mayor, Berkowitz, he did... Uh, he did end up resigning. He's 58, by the way. She's 41, and he was married you know, with children. So uh, he initially denied the allegations, but then all that shit came out. But the funny part was that she left a voicemail that surfaced to Berkowitz 
and you can hear this fucking whack job because she threatens to kill him on the voicemail. Never a good idea, by the way. Like, you don't want your death threats on tape. So let's listen to the voicemail from reporter Maria Athens to the Anchorage mayor. Let's listen to this whack job here. Ethan, it's Maria Athens from Fox ABC CW News at National Alaska. Uh, I just learned through my uh, Emmy award-winning journalism, you're also a pedophile in, like, little girls and children. And there's a website. I'm so fucking exposing you. I'm going to get an Emmy. So you either turn yourself in, kill yourself, or do what you need to do. I will personally kill you and Mara Kimmel, my goddamn self, you Jewish piece of living fucking shit. Mm. You have met your match, motherfucker. You have met your motherfucking match. I can't believe I am such a good person and thought I loved you. I fucking hate, I don't even hate you. I will pray for your Zionist fucking ass, you piece of shit loser. And I'm putting this on the news tonight. Bye. Have a great Friday, you motherfucker. God damn, dude. Wow. Oh, woman scorned indeed. Woof. Yeah, she sounds uh she sounds really uh she sounds re- she sounds like a good a real good person, doesn't she? Oh, that's fantastic. All right, how about this? Let's go to something more amusing. We had another mysterious jetpack sighting. I have a lot of questions about that. How hard can it fi- How come they can't find a guy who has a jetpack that can go fucking 6,000 feet in the air? You tell me there, there can't be that many of them. Yeah, airline crew members spotted a person in a jetpack flying an altitude of 6,000 feet right near Los Angeles International Airport, LAX. And this follows the second uh, one that was about six weeks ago. So the FBI is currently investigating both cases. Okay, what are they? The FBI, what are they, bumblers? Again, there's not too many fucking jetpacks who can fly 6,000 feet. So what are they doing over there? And again, it's right by the airport. So at 1.45 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, the crew of the LAX-bound China Airlines Flight 006 alerted air traffic controllers of the strange site. And... The Federal Aviation Administration uh, did confirm that it received the report and located and promptly alerted local law enforcement. And, man, this is wild. And remember, the last one was on August 29th when a pilot for American Airlines Flight 1997 spotted what he believed to be a guy in a jetpack. Now, this sounds like it couldn't happen. I mean, this is at like 6,000 feet. So I'm just wondering, like, what is going on here? Because, well, first of all, I'd like to know, is this a test run? What happens when the jetpack craps out at 6,000 feet? I mean, does the guy have, like, a reserve parachute or something? Because you're not going to glide to the ground or anything. Anyway, I've got the uh, audio of the pilot from that China Airlines flight to LAX. So let's listen to them talking to the control tower about what they said. How see. much energy did you We just saw the flight object at the 6,000. This is 007. Can you say that one more time, please? We just saw the, the flight object, like a flight suit, just passing by at 6,000. Flying object, was it a uh, UAV or was it a jetpack? A uh, lack of jetpack, uh, too shiny, uh, too fast. 
Okay, so there's the jetpack audio. They saw it. You heard her. UAV or what are you talking about? He's like, no, no, no. This is a fucking jetpack, dude. Man. All right. Uh, so what else do we have? Let's go to... Well, let me do a few other because I want. I really wanted to uh, rip on the media some more. Hey, guys, I had a lot of fun with this. And this was that stupid reason for canceling the second debate. And do you remember the stupid C-SPAN journalist, Steve Scully? And I told you on a podcast, remember, there was some question about his impartiality because Steve Scully went viral last week after a tweet sent from his account indicated that he had reached out to former White House communications director, uh, Ant, uh, what's his name? Scaramucci. What's his fucking first name? I don't even remember that loser. Remember the guy was there for like 10 days? Anthony Scaramucci, that's who it was. Anyway, so once that happened, and you know, because everybody's like, well, dude, you're not, you're supposed to be this impartial moderator. Why are you reaching out to noted Trump hater Anthony Scaramucci on Twitter? And that's when Steve Scully said, oh, I was hacked. And I promptly ridiculed that. I was like, oh, let's see the police report. I'd fucking love to see that. And then all the stupid media, the stupid fucking worthless media journalists that we have all rushed to his defense because they all fucking want to protect a member of their stupid guild. Oh, how dare you, BK, they were all saying. How dare you question the integrity of Steve Scully? Everyone knows he's an honorable man. You can take what he says to the bank. Steve Scully would never lie about being hacked. If he said it was hacked, then he was definitely hacked, BK. That's what they all said. And I laughed in their faces. I'm like, boy, you're fucking stupider than I even thought you were. And what happened? Well, guess what? It turns around, it turns out that he was lying about his Twitter hacked, and C-SPAN has now suspended him indefinitely. That's fantastic. First of all, it was a joke that he was even scheduled to moderate the debate in the beginning. You know, he used to intern for Joe Biden. I mean, we can't, why can't we have Tucker Carlson or some right-wing guy uh, hostily conduct a town hall with Joe Biden? Trump does. Trump gets a fucking stupid Savannah Guthrie and that dope from USA Today. And he goes on fucking with George stupid Stephanopoulos and all these other far left Democratic activists. Why can't we have Joe Biden getting grilled by somebody like that? Instead, it's the same old hacks like in my whole life. So, yeah, they're all fucking phony and full of shit. And Steve Scully lied through his teeth. And I'm just guessing that. Steve Scully, when it came down to it, he wasn't willing to lie to the FBI. And it was funny because he put out a statement where he basically blamed Twitter. And he said, you know what? I was subjected to relentless criticism on social media regarding my role as a moderator for the second presidential debate. Meh, meh, meh. This culminated when I heard President Trump go on national television twice and falsely attack me by name out of frustration. I sent a brief tweet to Anthony Scaramucci, blah, blah, blah. And then he said he falsely claimed that his Twitter account was hacked. Yeah, that's right. So he's blaming social media like a little weak bitch. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I had a good time with that one. I laughed out loud when he said he'd been hacked. I put it on Twitter. You guys can go see a Bravo Kilo actual. I was laughing my ass off. I was like, oh, let's see. Has the FBI been contacted yet? And it was funny because here's how I have a feeling here's how it went down. So Steve Scully says, no, I was hacked. And C SPAN, his bosses, say, you sure you've been hacked? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally. 
So then C-SPAN goes to get Twitter and the FBI involved. And if it even got to this point, I'm just imagining like an FBI agent schlub that they sent to go down there, looked at Steve Scully and was like, look, dude, you know we can easily see who logged into your Twitter account, right? And we can easily find out, are you sure you want to lodge an official fucking FBI police report? Because just keep in mind, if you're lodging a false complaint to the FBI, that's a federal crime, Mr. Scully. Are you sure? This is a road you want to go down, Mr. Scully? And that's when Steve Scully's like, okay, yeah, you got me. I made the whole thing up. That's just how I'm kind of envisioning the whole thing going down. Too funny, you guys. I keep telling you, I don't know what, and you know, I'm fast. I don't know why people hold these journalists in esteem. They're all useless fucking far-left hacks. I wouldn't go on any of their shows if they fucking paid me. I hold them in such contempt. I have more respect for the guy who cleans out the shitters than I do the modern journalist who knows nothing. And I've gone over repeatedly. They know nothing. They're a joke. Now, a few other notes in our ongoing like censorship with big tech issues. I promised you guys I had a few more later. Let's start with YouTube. And they have now banned coronavirus vaccine misinformation. That's right. They said they would remove videos from YouTube containing misinformation about COVID-19 vaccines, uh, expanding its current rules against falsehoods and conspiracy theories about the pandemic. And what cracks me up, you guys, is they, they, they are very selective about which, con- which conspiracy theories they will ban. Because if you want to keep going on the conspiracy theory about the Russia collusion, which has been proven false, you're free to do that. Indeed, Washington Post keeps doing editorials on it to this day. If you want to do a conspiracy theory about the Russian bounties that the commanding general of Afghanistan has said is false, you're also free to keep pushing that one. But if you want to talk about Q, whatever the fuck that is, or coronavirus stuff, they'll ban you in the quickness. And further, they said it would ban any content with claims about COVID-19 vaccines that contradict consensus from local health authorities or the World Health Organization. Well, well, the World Health Organization has changed their mind on a lot of this stuff. <laughs> you know, so are you gonna are you gonna ban that? Indeed, the World Health Organization this week also backflipped on their stance uh, that they've had for many months when they condemned lockdowns this week. Yeah, that's right. This week, And this was barely mentioned in the news, you guys. The WHO is now appealing to world leaders, telling them to stop using lockdowns as your primary control method. The head of the WHO, Dr. David Nabarro, also claimed that the only thing lockdowns achieved was poverty. They said He said, quote, lockdowns just have one consequence that you must never, ever belittle, and that is making poor people an awful lot poorer, end quote. We in the world, another quote, we in the World Health Organization do not advocate lockdowns as the primary means of controlling this virus, end quote. So what happens now if I say, uh, yeah, lockdowns are bad and uh, make it worse and we should never do them? Is that going to be pulled by YouTube? What about the masks? Remember, they said masks don't work a long time ago. Then they said they do work. Do you see where I'm going with this? And then in further censorship, 
Facebook is now also banning Holocaust denial content. The new policy by Facebook says it prohibits any content that denies or distorts the Holocaust. Like, I don't get... See, this is the other thing I don't get. Like, I, if you deny the Holocaust, I just think you're an ahistorical idiot, you know? And I'm glad that you're out there saying it because it automatically lets me know within five seconds that you're a fucking dummy. You're just a total dumbass who doesn't know anything about history or anything. So I love people who deny the Holocaust because I'm like, okay, you're a dummy next and I can move on to the next one. That's some saying, guys. For me as a free speech advocate, I want to counteract them and point at them and laugh. Why is a tech company have to stop in and stop this? And why is it just about this? Because they let other shit go on all the time that is wildly false. That's what I'm saying. They just seem to pick and choose which ones they're going to do. And Facebook boss Mark Zuckerberg famously has said he struggled with free speech and banning stuff. But this is, again, the left-wing media who is now clamoring for censorship. And they go after these tech companies and they demand them do something, which is a far cry from journalists even a generation ago who would insist on free speech. Two years ago, Zuckerberg said that such posts about the Holocaust denial should not automatically be taken down for getting it wrong. Zuckerberg said, quote, I find it deeply offensive, but at the end of the day, I don't believe that our platform should take that down because I think that there are things that different people get wrong, end quote. And his remarks led to a large public backlash. Uh, you can say journalists of backlash. That's who really yelled at him. That's who he cares about. So, yeah, more stuff that's not on. It'll just make it that much harder to spot the dummies. And then, this one is creepy, too. Webster's Dictionary changed the definition of the word preference to match the Democrats' attack on Supreme Court Justice nominee Amy Coney Barrett this week. As recently as last month, Webster's Dictionary included a definition of preference as orientation or sexual preference. But right after Amy Coney Barrett was told that her use of sexual preference, that term was offensive, people checked Webster's Dictionary and found that Webster's had changed the online dictionary and gotten rid of the definition of preference as orientation or sexual preference and changed it to offensive. Like, it's now fucking offensive. We're in truly Orwellian times, man, where people are just going through and changing the meaning of words. Um, let's listen to Democrat, and this all happened after Democrat Senator Maisie Hirono attacked Amy Coney Barrett for using the term sexual preference. Let's listen Mr. to this. Senator Holly, you met his test. This morning, Senator Feinstein ask you a question about the Supreme Court's 2015 decision in Obergefell v. Hodges, a case in which the court recognized the constitutional right to same-sex marriage. And I was disappointed that you wouldn't give a direct answer on whether you agreed with the majority in that case, or if you instead agree with your mentor, Justice Scalia, that no such right exists in the Constitution. So even though you didn't give a direct answer, I think your response did uh, speak volumes, not once, but twice, you use the term sexual preference to describe those in the LGBTQ community. And let me make clear, sexual 
preference is an offensive and outdated term. It is used by anti-LGBTQ activists to suggest that sexual orientation is a choice. Okay, let me stop her there. So basically, that's the clip. And then right after that clip, when you went to Webster's Dictionary, you found the new definition that was updated. They used the Wayback Machine on the Internet to go look at the old version versus the new version. Isn't that crazy? And I checked, too. That's real news. I wanted to make sure it wasn't just some tweet. It was, it was real. Uh, and then, uh, speaking of Amy Coney Barrett, it was a bunch of stupid shit that they kept asking her. Here's dopey Senator Cory Booker uh, asking her to condemn white supremacy. <laughs> Even though she's got, like, kids who... Uh, she's got two uh, children, of co- children of color that she adopted. It's funny. How come nobody asked Joe Biden to condemn Antifa? You know? It's always one way. But here's Senator Cory Booker. Let's listen to this idiot. So this uh, clip comes up here. Here we go. Um, uh, you've already spoken towards issues of racism and how you deplore it. But I, I want to just ask you very simply, and I, I imagine you'll give me a very short, resolute answer. Um, but you condemn white supremacy, correct? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad to see that you said that. I wish our president uh, would say that so resolutely and unequivocally yeah, as well. He, he did. At a time he did many times. That Americans are literally fearful because their president... Right cannot do that in the resolute manner in which you did. I'm yeah, very scary white supremacy. Yes. Those legions of KKK members on horseback holding pitchforks. Yes, they're very frightening. Very frightening. Oh, man. Never ends, you guys. All right, let's get to something more funny. How about this one? Out of the UK, a nurse pleasured himself next to a dead body in a hospital room and sent colleagues filthy texts, according to an inquest. This nurse uh, is in trouble for a variety of lewd behavior. His name is he, uh, Helder Silva. And he claims that he's, he was only flirting after a string of incidents, including one interaction that saw him ejaculate into a towel and throw it at a victim. Hmm. Several other colleagues claimed he would send them sordid texts and expose his genitals at the Great Western Hospital in Swindon. That's in the UK. The allegations also include that he had performed sex acts in front of five staff members, sent them filthy messages, and groped one in a storage cupboard. (laughs) Uh, One victim said that Silva was in a room. uh, He drew the curtain around, and then he got his genitals out and started trying to play with himself and asked if I want to play or watch him. And while he was carrying out this game, yes, there was a deceased victim in the same room. So he is facing an inquest. It doesn't say he's like facing any crime, which is strange to me. Uh, this one is floating around. A New Hampshire man has been arrested for stuffing razor blades into pizzas in supermarkets. Nicholas Mitchell of Dover, New Hampshire, was arrested for alleged food tampering. And he uh, is claimed he placed razor blades inside of certain products from the It'll Be Pizza Company where he was an employee. He looks like a nut. This was fresh pizza dough that was sold at a main supermarket. And yes, a customer had purchased a Portland pie pizza dough and later found an undisclosed amount of razor blades embedded in the food. 
So they reviewed the store security surveillance and it revealed a person tampered with the packaging of several Portland pie pizza doughs. So they arrested Nicholas Mitchell of Dover, New Hampshire. <laughs> wow. Oh, there's some good uh, still shots from the grocery store here, too. And yeah, he is a former associate of the It'll Be Pizza Company who manufactures products for po Portland Pie. The, a motive has not been revealed, and they don't know if he's going after somebody or what. That's crazy. Well, I guess we should just be thankful he wasn't like, you know, jacking off into it or something because you guys know how those stories usually go on this show. Uh, let's see. What else? You know, I'm fascinated with OnlyFans. The website OnlyFans, you guys have heard of OnlyFans. It's where all like, the hookers can get guys to pay them money so they can see their naked photos. Well, I saw this article, and it's from something called NewCultureMedia.com. It could be fake news, but I, I just can't believe this, though. You know who they say is the top earner on the site? You know, remember that chick, Black China? She was involved with the Kardashians at one point somehow. Anyway, she's hideous looking. She's got one of those fake asses, and she's got dimples all over her thighs. She's disgusting. But, you know, you airbrush enough shit, and it looks okay, I suppose. But this article is claiming that Black China has become the top earner on OnlyFans, making $17 million a month. And they say that she posts pictures of herself on her account, and you can pay $19.99 a month to get pictures of uh, OnlyFans. I just can't fucking believe that, that number. $17 million a month. And she does, like, you know, live questions and answer sessions, blah, 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 blah. And OnlyFans is drawing all, a lot of big celebrities, like Cardi B is uh, on OnlyFans, and she allegedly makes $8 million a month just on OnlyFans. Her OnlyFans account is at IamCardiB. She charges a monthly subscription fee of $4.99. Dude, guys, all right, gather around, you young guys. I know i got a lot of young guys listening. Listen to your uncle here. If you're giving money to a chick on the internet, you're a fucking simp, dude. End of the story. I don't care. For nudes, for porn, you're a simp. You are a fucking beta. You got to go out and conquer. You're, you're young men. You're young American men. You're filled with piss and vinegar and virility. Go out and fucking bang some chicks. Pick up on them. You're sending chicks or buying some for a strange woman on the internet? For what? For pictures of her in her underwear? Do you know that there are literally a million terabytes of free pornography on the internet? Are you aware of this phenomenon? And you're going to give fucking Black China 20 bucks a month to see her fat, fake, dimpled, fucking grotesque, surgically enhanced ass? You're, really, that's what you're going to do? You're a fucking simp, dude. Honestly, unfollow me if you're doing any of that. I don't want your fucking patronage. I can't believe that number, 17 million. I should get on OnlyFans, you guys. I've thought about it. How about that? How about BK on OnlyFans? I'll put up a subscription fee. 99 cents a month. You get all the fucking ab vein pictures that you can possibly see. You get the bronzed skin, color not found in nature. You get the 19-inch rippling, sweaty pythons. I mean, it's not bad. And uh, unlike Black China, I'm not greedy. 
I'll do it for the low, low price of 99 cents a month. That's all. You can subscribe to my OnlyFans. There you go. At BK Actual and OnlyFans. I got to go reserve that right away. <laughs> okay, let's keep going. Oh, God. How much time do we have? Oh, we got a little bit of time. Let's go. Uh, let's try. Let me see which ones I want here. Let's go to this one. Uh, let's go to South Carolina. The Georgetown County Sheriff's Office responded to a complaint that Donald Trump campaign signs continuously went missing from residents' yard. And several other complaints met, and all it was all Trump signs uh, disappearing. So, you probably know what happens next. The person put a deer camera in his yard to capture the offender who kept taking his signs. Well... They caught on video an offender removing one sign and defacing another sign by writing the word dump over the Trump name. Oh, good one. While they did identify the offender, it is Dean Smith, and he is seen on camera being driven away by his wife. Well, here's the wrinkle. Smith happens to be the chairman of the Georgetown County Board of Elections. How about that? Wow. It's all rigged, you guys. Everybody who gets involved in politics is a left-wing fuck. We've known that for some time, but it just spells it out even more. Okay. What do I want to do with the uh, audio clips? I've got a, it's got a few good audio clips here. Let's go to this one. This was captured on a Ring doorbell camera, and it is a Trump supporter talking to somebody through their Ring doorbell camera and she's threatening to sue them for having a Joe Biden sign on their yard. Let's listen to this hick. He's ringing the, ringing the doorbell. You see her on video there, waiting at the front door. Hello, can I help you? I actually, I want to talk to you. This is Elba. I want to show you something. I'm sorry, I can't come to the door right now. The, get out your neighborhood by law. It's sectioned. 5.20. No sign shall be in the yard. If you don't take this Harris Biden shit down, yes. I will right sue here. you. Right and I was going to have you sell my house, but that's not going to happen now, and you're going to lose a lot of business because of this crap. You get out your neighborhood association bylaws, section 5. Point, 20. <laughs> yeah. uh, there she goes, walks off. Imagine fucking living in a place of the homeowners association. I don't know how you guys do it. There's no way I could ever do it. Uh, I have a few other clips of that nature. Uh, let's go to the clip of this guy. Where is this? Some of these clips don't have description. Oh, this is in Utah. A Trump supporter in Utah says black lives don't matter and coughs on the protesters screaming at him. Let's just black lives yes, don't matter. All lives matter. I'm so scared of your fucking virus. 
Back to his truck holding the uh back to his truck holding the Trump flag. Oh, I love this time we live in, isn't it great, you guys? Now, let's go to this one. In Seattle, a jogger runs by and he sees like one of these fucking pasty, loser, neck bearded, pudgy, paunchy, incel uh white people who wearing all black, their Antifa outfit. So this jogger starts getting into it with him, and then the Antifa guy begs the nearby cop to watch him over. It's pretty funny. I'm not a he. Yeah. Begging the cop, are you protecting me? Oh, these little fucking soy boys in their black outfits, they fucking crack me up, dude. And then uh, in Portland, the... Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and homeless protesters all started fighting each other in downtown Portland. <laughs> Apparently, this goes on all the time. Let's listen to some of this mayhem. This, we're, we're getting this drug thing slash uh, anarchist thing out of here. Do you have a picture of the Molotov cocktails? I'd love to see that. Can I see it? No, you can give me your email and I'll send it to you. Sure thing. All right. Ever since you just told me you stole my land. Did you call me a fucker? Did you call me a fucker? Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to tell you something, bro. Ever since the call of your let's go. I'm homeless right now, homie. I'm homeless right now. Ooh, punch him. I'm homeless right now, homie. I'm homeless right now. I'm a fucker. I mean, there's another angle of it. Let's see this angle. Honestly, you could just like, you know, fucking throw a net over that whole crowd and just throw them into the ocean and society would be like way better off. And funny enough, the uh, meanwhile, also in uh, Washington, 
The stepson of a former Democratic state lawmaker has been charged with assaulting a police officer and planning sophisticated attacks against police. Jacob Greenberg, 19 years old, is in King County Jail on charges of assault in the first degree, attempted arson in the first degree, and reckless burning in the first degree. He is the stepson of former Democratic Representative Laura Ruderman of Kirkland, Washington. Oh, that's fantastic. Wow. And that representative used her position as a state lawmaker to convince a judge to lower the bail on a previous charge against her fucking piece of shit loser stepson on the, and release him into her custody. And of course, Ruderman said, quote, he is basically a good kid, a straight A student, at quote, blah, 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 blah. No, he's a piece of crap. And he's one of these losers in his all black outfit running around thinking he's a tough guy. Typical. Okay, so there you go. Uh, how many times have I told you guys to stay outside, stay out of the Walmart? Well, in South Carolina, a man was sentenced to 15 years in prison after pleading guilty Monday to a charge stemming from an incident in which he attempted to abduct and assault a young boy in a local Walmart bathroom. 52-year-old Donald Morrison has been sentenced to 15 years in prison. That's the maximum sentence for the offense allowed under state law. And yes, he was already on the sex offender registry. Again, you're not going to cure this. The victim was a boy under the age of 10. He told officers that he encountered a strange man in the restroom, and the man tried to bribe him to touch the man inappropriately, as well as allow the man to touch him inappropriately. And when the boy refused, the man grabbed him with both arms and refused to let him leave the bathroom. Gross, dude. <laughs> Out of the bathroom. Uh, an electrician in Australia uh, is being accused of surgically removing a man's testicle as part of a bizarre castration fetish fantasy. You guys remember this? Brisbane man Ryan King is accused of cutting off another man's testicle. It's alleged he met up with this other man to perform a castration fetish fantasy. They did meet online and arranged to meet up in person at a backpacker's hostel to perform the uh, fantasy. He researched the surgery online and brought medical equipment and anesthetic with him before removing one of the man's testicles at his request. Well, Shockingly enough, the wound could not be stitched up enough to stop the bleeding, and an ambulance had to be called. <laughs> but yeah, this is a thing. We've done a couple of these cases. Men do become aroused at the idea of having their penis or testicles cut off. Oh, that's great. God, don't do this. You Come on. Uh, what else? A Detroit woman says she woke up to a well-known pastor from North Carolina urinating on her on an airplane. This happened in the backseat of a Delta plane as she returned to Detroit from Las Vegas. Alicia Beverly just had a great trip in Vegas. She was on the red-eye flight. She was asleep. All of a sudden, she woke up with the feeling of being urinated on. So she jumps up, and she sees a man with his genitals out, and she started screaming, and it woke everybody up. And uh, he shakes himself off, and she's like, this man just peed on me. 
So the the pastor's claiming he had some sort of reaction to his sleep aid. Interesting. That's a good uh, that's a good defense. The ambient defense, right? The Tiger Woods defense or Ellen Nordgren defense, more accurately. Okay. Uh, let's see. I have another audio clip here. I'm not sure what's going on here. Basically, this they say this is a pro-Trump candidate fighting two young women. And she has a megaphone, and you're just going to hear a lot of screaming. This should be good. Let's listen to this. Triggered! 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 They're claiming in the tweet that this chick with the megaphone is Rayla Campbell, who is running for office against Representative Ayanna Presley. Okay, here we go. Trying to get her to stop blowing the microphone. Again, you're fucking touching it. Again, again, you're fucking. Again. What the fuck is going? Again, yeah. Yeah, you're putting your fucking, putting your hands on people's property. Don't be touching nobody's shit. Doesn't matter. You're out of your fucking car antagonizing us. Hey, you're in, you're out of your car antagonizing. Back the fuck up. Back the fuck up. Hey. There you go. Now they're fighting on the ground. Hey, hey, get the fuck, get the fuck off. Get the fuck off her. Get the fuck off her. Get the fuck off her. Don't swing on me. Fuck you. I'm backing you up, bitch. Yeah, back the fuck up. You fucking dumb bitches. You don't want to stop the car. You're antagonized. You stopped the fucking car. Now you're just assaulting somebody. No, it's all right. I'm calm. I'm calm. I am calm. No, I'm calm. They need to get the fuck off her. Two people onto one. Is that how your bitches roll? Enough. Yeah, two fucking people onto one, right? No, no, it's all right. Back up, wait, back up. Wait, I don't give a fuck. They're attacking her. They're attacking her. They're in their fucking face. They put their hands on her. They put their fucking hands on her. Oh my god, boy, these people all sound really intelligent, don't they? This is what they spend their all, all their. This is what they spend all day and night doing. I don't understand any of it. Oh, God, quick. How much time do we have? Okay, we're starting to run out of time, guys. Quickly, uh, Scott Peterson. Remember the infamous California murderer? His conviction for murdering his pregnant wife, Lacey, and their unborn son will now be reexamined just weeks after California's Supreme Court overturned his death sentence because a juror lied about being the victim of a crime. Well, who cares? The California Supreme Court is now ordering the trial judge to consider whether Scott Peterson's murder conviction should be overturned. They better fucking not do that. I'll take to the streets over that one. Remember, Peterson was found guilty all the way back in 2004 of killing his 27-year-old pregnant wife, Lacey Peterson, and their unborn son, Connor. And the basis of re-examining the conviction comes after the court found a juror committed prejudicial misconduct for not disclosing prior legal proceedings. Boy, they'll find any, like, just idiotic part to try to get a murder off, won't they? Uh, The office semen guy who put uh, semen in his co-worker's water bottle, uh, update on that one, he has been jailed. 
Stevens Millen Castro has been sentenced to more than two years in jail for assault and battery for sexual purposes. Of course, heavily covered here when the 30-year-old masturbated and ejaculated into three of her water bottles while she noticed to be cloudy each time and threw away. However, she did eat out of a jar of honey over a period of time without realizing that, yes, it had been tainted. Oh, God. He should get the death penalty for that. Two years in prison, that's it? Come on. Um, A Chicago girl was seen being forced to perform a sex act on a man during a remote learning session before the teacher saw the abuse online and reported it. God. The Chicago man is now in police custody. But basically, a young girl who's a student at a city public school was forced to perform a sex act on a man at a home in Chicago's South Side. Well, the girl's teacher witnessed the abuse after the incident was streamed online. Ugh. How are you that bold, you know, to do that while the, while, while the girl's right there online? Uh, this was funny. The woke vets were trying to make this a thing, too. The Trump... This was Trump at one of the rallies, and he cheered the actions of that federal task force that killed Michael Raynal. That's the Antifa activist from Portland who had been wanted in the fatal shooting of a Trump supporter. Or as the New York Times has to point out, a far-right Trump supporter. So yes, that was the guy who self-described Antifa. He admitted to Vice News that yes, he did the shooting. And yes, officers then went to go arrest him. And he had a gun on him, and the officers opened fire and fucking promptly ventilated this guy, and uh, Trump cheered him on. So then all the media was like aghast, saying, oh, Trump's training this on. How dare he? And so here's, let's listen to Trump uh, talk about this a little bit. Here we go. We want to go to Portland so bad. That one would take 15 minutes to set. 15 minutes. And the man that shot another innocent man, this was an innocent man shot, killed, instantly killed. I said, what happened? Well, we haven't arrested him. Two days, three days went by. We sent in the U.S. Marshals. Took 15 minutes, it was over. 15 minutes, it was over. We got him. They knew who he was. They didn't want to arrest him. And 15 minutes, that ended. Yeah, so the woke vets were trying to get the, everybody on to care that an Antifa loser got fucking clipped. And that story was on Twitter for like five minutes, and nobody cared. Uh, let's see. The federal deficit has ballooned to a record $3.1 trillion. I know nobody cares about this either. <laughs> this is obviously due to the coronavirus, and uh, this underscores the long-term economic challenges facing the United States. Remember, this federal deficit, in case you didn't know, is the gap between what the U.S. spends and what it earns through tax receipts and other uh, revenue. Well, it's $2 trillion more than what the White House budget forecast in February. And it is three times as large as the $984 billion deficit in the 2019 fiscal year. And again, there's no constituency for cutting spending of any kind, particularly not now at all. Nobody cares. The guy who's running for the Senate in, the Ari- in Arizona, Mark Kelly... 
The campaign spokesman for Arizona Democratic Senate candidate Mark Kelly referred to the police as, quote, worthless fucking pigs, end quote, on Twitter in August. (laughs) And he hasn't even been fired. He's just been disciplined, whatever that means. This is what they really think, you guys. They're just trying to hide it. They all fucking hate the cops. All these activists now have infiltrated politics, and this is what Joe Biden is going to be surrounded by as he slides into dementia, if he should win the presidency. Kelly's deputy press secretary is a guy named T.J. Hero, And he posted the message in response to a video that showed Chicago police fighting with protesters. And yes, he did write, quote, you worthless fucking pigs, end quote, at Chicago underscore police. That's nice. This is what it's all about. And he wasn't even fired. Just keep that in mind, you Arizonans. Uh, let's see. A mom... 32 years old, is arrested for forcing her son, 12 years old, to strip naked before raping him on the bed they share. 34-year-old Brittany Rollo was charged with aggravated sexual assault. The mother allegedly attacked her son after questioning the then 6th grader about masturbation while she was undressing. She reportedly instructed him to take off his clothes before raping him. She then allegedly told him to clean himself up and don't tell anyone. And the picture of her, not good. Not good at all. I mean, it wouldn't be good anyway, but she is uh, very fat, very round, very gross, and uh, just disgusting all the way around. And... We had another one of these cases. These pop every once in a while. A heavily pregnant mother was killed along with her unborn baby when her friend hacked the child out of her womb. 22-year-old Reagan Hancock was seven and a half months pregnant. She died after a friend cut her open at her Texas home. And yes, she did flee with the fetus. She was later arrested by authorities just across the state border in Oklahoma. Oh, she had allegedly taken the fetus to a hospital in a nearby town where the baby uh, did not survive. God. (sighs) Fucking depravity, man. Uh, It happened again. A white male professor is caught posing as a black woman on Twitter. (laughs) We've been covering these. This one was Craig Chapman, a white male University of New Hampshire professor who was called out being fake after posing as a black woman on Twitter. And he was uh, calling himself an immigrant woman of color who grew up in poverty. And now uh, he he declared himself a science woman in STEM. That's funny. So why do all these guys do that? And there must be some unearned privilege that comes with being a woman of color on social media. Uh, let's see. A another convicted sex offender has been arrested after Citrus County, Florida deputies say he sexually assaulted a four-year-old child. The young victim had been left in the care of Tommy Glenn Dees at his home. So what fucking person left their four-year-old kid uh, to be babysat by the sex offender? Why would you do that? He's 52, registered sexual offender with many child pornography convictions. Never, it never, just fucking never ends, the depravity. Uh, how many more do I have here? Oh, how about this? A female execution is supposed to be coming up. 
death row inmate, 43 years old, would become first female federal prisoner to be executed in 70 years. And guess what she did, you guys? She strangled a pregnant woman and cut the baby girl out of her womb in 2004. Lisa Montgomery, 43 years old, choked her victim, Bobby Joe Stinnett, 23 years old, with a rope before using a carving knife to take the fetus out of the womb. This murder happened in 2004. Montgomery was sentenced to death in 2007. Her execution has been scheduled and will happen on December 8, 2020. And this is a federal execution. So she will become the first federal female prisoner to be executed in 70 years. And she will be put to death on December by lethal injection. Oh, the baby survived, though, this one. The baby's name is Victoria Jostin, and she survived the attack and is now 16 years old. So Montgomery's execution will mark the eighth federal execution this year after the Trump administration began pushing ahead with executions this summer ahead of the 2020 presidential race after a 17-year-old pause. Good, good, very good. Uh, quickly, a... Uh, several prominent New Mexico Democrats were threatened and harassed on Wednesday night by individuals who invaded a Zoom meeting, used hate speech, and held up handmade signs containing the N-word, swastikas, and Trump 2020. At least one of the perpetrators exposed his general genitals and did begin masturbating. <laughs> Jesus. A plane passenger in Italy spotted a man walking oddly and discovered he had about two pounds of gold bullion shoved into his rectum. And yes, they do have photographs of gold on a tray. Uh, this is at India's Kanur Airport. He tried to avoid paying an 18% tax on his precious nuggets by smuggling him in the old prison purse. That's right. He keistered it. Officials at the Air Intelligence Unit spotted this guy walking funny. They checked it out, and they found $60,000 worth of gold in the smuggler's anus. And apparently this is not unusual over there. And then finally, you guys, the big finish. Many of you sent this to me. A man with a history of perverse criminal charges was arrested this week after he was allegedly seen fondling himself on the campus of LSU, Louisiana State University. 72-year-old James Cousins was seen watching a female student from his truck in a parking lot outside one of LSU's buildings. And the passerby told police it appeared that Cousins was masturbating while he watched a student enter the building. The witness said he could not see Cousins' genitalia, but said he could tell what was happening based on the way he was moving his arm. So campus police spotted the truck on surveillance video and they learned that Cousins was the owner of the truck, and they learned that he'd been arrested on several obscenity charges dating back to 1991, including multiple incidents in the same parking lot. So when confronted by investigators, Cousins admitted to watching women from the parking lot but denied the accusations he fondled himself in his truck. He said the police... Uh, he said that watching women was the only thing he had left, and then he later explained to police that he likes to sit and listen to music in his truck and that they may have mistaken him playing air drums on his knees. See? He wasn't fucking jacking off. 
That's a good one for something to move your. That would explain why you're moving your arm up and down in a furious motion. That's what he said. He said he was just playing the air drums. So keep that in mind, you guys. And that is fucking all I got this week. That's two and a half hours in a row. Fucking nobody else is capable of doing it. You guys know it. Please follow me on Twitter, you guys, at Bravo Kilo Actual, and check out that Instagram at BK Actual. And please go to patreon.com and look for BK Actual. And I want to thank my great patrons. I've had a good month this month so far. Let's keep it up, guys. It's the only way I can keep doing the podcast, and uh, it's a way I can keep giving you guys all the good extra stuff, too, especially like presidential debates and all that stuff. It takes time, you know, to do all this, and I try to do the best job I can. So anything you can give is appreciated. Keep the podcast going. Let's keep it up. And, hey, don't forget to leave me an iTunes review. That's it for me this week, you guys. I will see you next week.